Boom. It's, it's here. here. It's fucking here. It's not about how many people we have. It's about ratios and where they mm. where they fall in the population pyramid. Are they in their 20s? Are they at that lower level rising up in the workforce? Or are they 65 and planning on a check coming their way? In my second podcast with Andrew Bustamante, the CIA guy, he said, and I quote, we need an enemy. Bustamante's right. We do need an enemy. Why does it have to be someone else in this world that is also a human? So mm. In our Lego set of life, carbon just happens to be the s Exactly. It happens to be the element with the highest affinity for bonding. So I was going to uh, say body count. Same thing, right? <laughs> What's cooking, everybody? I am joined in a bunker today by Mr. Eric Olson, and this was quite the philosophical discussion. Eric is a guy who initially worked in big oil and then moved his way over to sustainability. So he has quite the experience across the spectrum here, and it is also reflected in how he generates opinions on pretty much anything. So I very much appreciate the nuance that he has in, in approaching difficult discussions that have to happen in society, and I think we got to a lot of them today. So I hope you guys enjoy. If you're on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button. Please hit that like button on the video and hit that notifications button, that bell to make sure you get notified when a new episode's coming out. Would love to hear from you guys down in the comments below as always. And thank you to everyone who has been sharing around the episode with friends. That's the best thing we can do to spread the word. To all of you who are on Apple or Spotify, thank you for checking out the show over there. If you haven't already, please be sure to leave a five-star review on either one of those platforms. And I look forward to seeing you guys again for future episodes. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory. This is Trendifier, and please welcome Eric Olson. Yeah, we'll get but, there. We'll but, get there. But listen, bro, thank you so much for your patience today and for coming into town to do this. I really, really appreciate it, and I will fill people in in a second. But you're coming all the way in from Austin, Texas, and holy shit if I had a fucking day, day and a half, two days at this point. Yeah, uh, you and me both. I think we were both up till the wee hours of uh, the morning. I'm, Last night, I'm on 30 hours, man. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't. What what time is it now? 4:11. I was last in bed at 9:45 yesterday. It's without sleeping. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. been a fucking day, man. I but, feel you. But today, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be as on the ball as I can. Actually, I'm like riding the little wave. There's been a lot of stress, a lot of shit going wrong. And I'm kind of like past it. So I think we're in a good spot to be able to do this. But if I got to pull you back on some details today, just bear with me. And the people listening out there, bear with me if I miss something easy once in a while. I'm here for it. But I'm so interested in speaking with a guy like you because, you know, you you came from big oil. You moved over towards the renewable side. You, ha you have that perspective. You see a balance here. You have a lot of hope in the future and, and humanity and what we – what we can innovate to be able to do. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to give that platform. Now I will say I'm not one of those. We'll inter innovate our way out of everything guys. I actually started completely on a different perspective of mm. this whole oil, renewable, sustainable development, climate change perspective. I started on the biological side. So I started kind of from a, there, there's a, a, a camp, um, kind of named after Malthus or, or a Malthusian perspective, we call it, but it's kind of a biological um, approach to understanding. Well, it, it's a biological approach to a worldview where you, you see things uh, more zero sum like mm. where there's a total input of energy that the sun gives to the planet in a day. 
And from that total energy, you know, we as life forms create all these cascading um, orders and, and uh, we, we harness energy, we, we do things in our life, we make things, we do work. Um, we build the civilization in this life as this energy comes to, an, uh, comes to us, we harness it, do things with it, and it dissipates. I used to come from a perspective that was very much, this is zero sum, there are too many people, there are mm. 7 billion, almost 8 billion today, uh, and counting. It's probably going to hit its max that Earth will ever carry in our lifetime. Why do, why do you say that? Um, just because of the, the demographic trends, the way things are going right now in the world, um, we will not have more children than we do today at 2100. We have roughly 2 billion today. I think the, uh, the estimates, um, at least at the UN and, and a lot of these bigger organizations are going off of, are that those kids will stay 2 billion, but we're going to fill in our population. So we're going to, on average, get a little bit older in countries where the average age used to be 40 50, 60, you know, that's going to creep up um, just like it is in Italy, Germany, hell, even even here in the U.S. a little bit. And that's something Elon's been talking a lot about, too, is, hey, don't Fuck yeah. don't transition quite yet, America. Stay semi-developing, if you will. I was talking with a couple people a few weeks ago who I do want to have on the podcast eventually, but this was something I'm bringing up because this was something where they're like, well, shit, this is something you can never talk about on a podcast. And that makes me want to talk about it. Oh, what, yeah. what they said, they were speculating on why Elon was saying this stuff because as, as brilliant as Elon is, obviously like I've been a big fan of his throughout all the, all the stuff he does, but like as brilliant as he is, it's not like he's right about everything. You know, he's also very aggressive with, his timelines on stuff. He's very aggressive with his hopes for innovation and on, I guess you could even extend that to like demographic thoughts as, as it pertains to technology and the future of the human planetary or human species on earth. Been a long day, like I said, but with him making this point, what, what these guys were saying is they think he's looking at it like, Oh shit. There's not there's too many very intelligent people who are too career driven and they're not fucking and having kids. And so we're losing overall intelligence to be able to spread to the rest of the gene pool. Which right away they're like, Oh shit, now we're talking like biohacking and, and genetic genetic engineering. And I'm like, Yeah, you, that could be a dangerous conversation. But if you're just speculating on like why he's saying it and maybe he's trying to say it from the right intention without considering what it actually is implying there that that's at Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line, it's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI, it's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sounds reasonable. If I were guessing why Elon Musk is suddenly like trying to fuck everything with a pulse without a rubber, you know, and he's like paying him to do it too, like ahead of time, like we're going to do this. Like that would, that probably where I'd put my money on what he's thinking. Yeah. And, and here's what I would say to that too is, is, um, you know, one, I don't know his prerogative. I don't know his goals and, and what he, bad boy open, but yeah, go for it. Um, you know, I don't know all of his drivers per se, but I would say, like I was, I was just saying earlier, I came from the biological perspective of uh, demography and sustainability and, you know, can we make this whole project of human civilization work? That, what he's been saying for the last six months is pretty much the polar opposite. That is the the other camp of where I came from. One was, hey, keep growing. Our economy depends on growth. Grow, grow, grow. More people. Oh, seven billion. Cute. Let's go for eight, nine, ten, whatever. Um, I came from the opposite of that. I came from, you know, studying the deer population on Christmas Island or um, the people on Easter Island. Like the deer population on Christmas Island. Uh, it's just this example that biology biology textbooks use of uh, an isolated population on an island that had no natural predators. I think I could be botching this, but essentially the population follows what we call an S curve. It goes like this increases rapidly for a time. Oh, there's a lot of resources. We're all having sex. We're all having babies. And then you get to the top and this, let's call it a 20 square miles or something, right? Closed system. All of a sudden is loaded with deer. Well, what happens then? They starve. They run out of grass. They ran out of saplings to eat or whatever. And then that S curve, hits what we call in math an asymptote, right? It's a line you approach but never cross. That's what we call carrying capacity in, in biology. Every system, this room, if we were stuck in here forever, one of us would have to go, Julian. Yeah. Uh, it has a carrying capacity. It's going to be you, but yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you might know more about what's I know around you. Yeah, but uh, I got hot coffee, so. That's fu- I do too. So, so think about that, right? The Malthusian perspective is systems can be closed. I can yeah. draw a line around this and say, okay, within this given area, I can support X amount of a certain type of life, humans, deer, cows, whatever. If I exceed that carrying capacity, I become unsustainable, right? It's got a certain amount of shelf life. We'll eat through all that grass and then boom. People, well, in we this crash. case, deer start starving. starving and the population crashed. Uh, I don't know if it went to zero per se, but yeah, it, it crashed. And like I, biology is so interesting because we take for granted communication as humans, even though we still fail at a lot of it. Like we have the most resources to be able to do it, at least I, I guess like whales and, and dolphins are up there as well. But I, I won't get lost in that. Either way, we're at like at the top of the food chain here. It's like – Maybe. Maybe. All right. I'm an idiot. So we're don't doing please, well. Listen. We're doing we're, well. We're doing well. Yes. 30 straight hours, no sleep over here. Like we're, we're doing well. It's not a train wreck so far. But like – Looking at what we take for granted there, when when we, if if I'm a couple who's on hard times, and I live in a neighborhood, and there's a lot of other couples who are on hard times, the couples don't even really have to talk with each other, but like amongst each other, but they'll talk between each couple, and they may have the conversation like, "Oh, we're not going to have kids right now," right? And then what what happens? Time goes on mating periods end, you know, you, you have your biological clock, human beings, right? Yep. Guys technically don't, but women do. Oh, and then, all do, but and yeah, then yeah. I mean, they still do. You're right. But they at least, you know, a guy can shoot a load at, at 80 and have a fucking kid. 
And they still are. And they do. Some of and them they do. do. That's very interesting. But Elon Musk that did that, I think. He did that with uh, someone who worked for him. Crazy world. Anyway, but like the couples will then – it like nature will take its course, so to speak, because it was talked about. But now take it to like a deer. Is there like a thing – like are, do they have enough intelligence or is it just totally innate that they kind of realize, oh, there's, there's fucking deer starving all over the place. There's nothing to eat. Let's not fuck. They don't have that off switch. And so why does, it, why does it go down? I don't think we have that off switch either. We just are living in a different time now. So when we go from having five babies per woman on average, which many countries yes. did – 60, 70 years ago, yes. how, 30 years ago, to having 2.4, or I think in our case, it's like 2.1, which is barely replacement, right? Because maybe 10% or, sorry, 5% of mortality, right? There's a certain ratio each couple needs to have to be at what we call replacement level. Where mm. if I had my wife here and we had two kids and they both survived and became adults themselves and had families, we were totally uh, at replacement. My mm. wife and I had two. We were two. We made two. Um, we both came out of a world where our peers, our families, and especially the ones a little bit older than us, were having more than two kids on average per yes. family. That was because in the post-World War II baby boomer era, those families were used to having three, four, five kids yes. each. And it wasn't that uncommon to lose one or to send someone off to war at yes. 16 or 17 or whatever they used to sneak in, right? Um, hats off to that generation, by the way. Um, both the greatest generation and the baby boomer generation. Um, but anyway, back to the Malthusian piece of what he's saying with populations and the camp that I come from. I actually don't believe in the whole, we can innovate our way out of this. I do believe we will innovate our way through this, not out of it. We never get out of it. We just live in a different time. We don't face the same challenges we did once. We've conquered mm. a lot of the biological world. We are our own worst enemies now. We are we are like the one thing that stands in our own way. Um, and so I would just oh, say, wow. yeah, okay. I'm optimistic about all of it. I think we do make it work when it comes to energy, when it comes to materials and what I do and uh, circular economy. I think we will build a lot of this, but we will do it in agreement with what the system Elon's trying to support is. So he's trying to- Fucking everything? Kinda, kinda, but but uh, I mean, maybe. But he's, <laughs> he's basically saying, hey, America, don't go through the demographic transition full on just yet. And that transition is moving from a shorter lifespan, more baby society, which is what we yes. used to call developing, right? To a long lifespan, healthy, fewer baby society, which is what we used to call developed. Now, most of the world is actually in the middle. There isn't so much a developing world anymore. Most countries are in the middle or in the developed group now. He's, mm. sim he's simply saying, before we rush into that and lose all of the, the tarnish that, that will give to this crazy Western liberal idea that America really is, that the innovation that it, that it brings about, before we rush into that, realize that this goose is still laying golden eggs. Hell, his his work is, is one of those <laughs> eggs. Don't kill the goose that lays the golden eggs before we get all the eggs we need to get through this 
sustainable development period that we need that that his inventions are contributing to his companies are contributing to and countless more countless others are that have both been inspired by the values we uphold here in this country and are also started and carried out here in this country and across the western uh, civilization and, and really globally it's happening everywhere there's all kinds of uh i would say hope um, but it's, it's more than just that. It's actual hard science. It's a global rising of understanding that's really powering all this. To play devil's advocate on all that though, is you're making me think a lot, which is great today. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. I feel, remember we're <laughs> but, both going to be zombies today, hey, so hey, it's, we got it's, it. It's all good, man. We're, we're working it out on camera, but to play devil's advocate to that, the idea I think everyone can grasp on the surface level fairly easily is that less kids living longer. Yes. Okay. Before you even talk about the word population, you just mentioned that as a demographic trend and people go, yeah, we're living longer. And, and also we're losing less younger people. And that's part of the reason we're living longer. It's not just like, Oh, people that would have lived to 70 are now living to 80, which is true in, in many cases, but it's also, there are, there's not as many tragic deaths of a 10 year old. Thank God. You know, there's not as many crazy shit happening to a 23-year-old who got some sort of weird virus because he didn't – he left an open wound or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like something mm -hmm. weird shit like that. So with that coming down and people living older, the population on the back end gets way bigger even if it's producing less on the front end. But also the front end that's producing less is losing less on the front end. And so as the population gets older, this is where I'm extrapolating it. I don't know where technology goes. I don't think anyone ever truly does. I mean, we can have an idea where it may go. It may go to the point where time doesn't exist, but we don't know when that happens, right? That could be a billion years from now, or it could be 200 years yeah. from now. Exactly. So I can't specify when, but it doesn't seem crazy to me that sometime in the next several decades – we're going to live in a world where people effectively don't age, where people are having kids whenever they want. By the way, women aren't carrying kids. They don't have to do that. So mm -hmm. there, by the way, that there goes a ton of the problems with, with righteously what, what we have is like the commitment that that is when, when you have to carry a child for, for nine months. There's a lot of emotional things that can now be taken away if you don't have that. So that's, that's interesting. But and physiological. Absolutely. Oh absolutely. So – you know, th there's a lot of good there, it, it, it potentially, but that could make the barrier to entry of having kids a lot lower, unless, unless now you can put on your little tinfoil hat here, unless there's people controlling you from being able to do that and controlling you in ways where they run your life because you have a digital footprint everywhere. That's uh, that's very interesting uh, way to way to think about it. Um, Thank you for the Red Bull. Yeah, no, the Red Bull's working for sure. <laughs> Red Bull's fucking oh, yeah, working. Yeah, that was a good stop. Thank you, Wawa. Um, Absolutely. It's been a long time. I told the guy checking out. It's been years <laughs> since I'd been there. He's like, oh, welcome. Where are you from? Austin. Oh, we were supposed to open there this year, and it didn't happen. Um, Greatest place on planet Earth. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. Um, but anyway, you know, rolling back to that, if you knew that you your kids were going to survive to 60 – Mm -hmm. And you're a millennial. Mm -hmm. 
And your generation holds, what, a third, a fifth of the same wealth that baby boomers did at the same age? I don't know where it is now, but that sounds right. a lot less than they had at the same age. Would you want five kids? No. Me neither. (laughs) I wouldn't either. Um, So... There's, there's, it's like a supply demand. I hate to break it down to that. No, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. It kind of is that, right? It's, yes. it's kind of, uh, it's all these factors in our life. They all matter. The education of, uh, the education level of, of women, um, you know, rights amongst, amongst genders, uh, that, that's a big thing too. That's a direct indicator of the health of a society. You know, how many women finish secondary school? Mm. It's also directly correlated to, what he's trying to stop, which is that right. demographic transition of going from 2.5 or 3 or 5 kids down to 1.8. Where, you know, Japan's shrinking now. They'll, they'll be 30, what, yeah, 30 million? Japan's mil- going to be gone at yeah. this rate. There'll be 30 million people, um, uh, potentially 30 million people less by 2100, something crazy like that. They just like, they just like not fuck over there? Like, what's the deal? They just went through their transition earlier. So we're every country is doing this. This isn't some kind of like cycle that we, oh, we go around and around. No, no, no. This is the first time through for the world. The world has never gone through this transition of short lifespans, many babies, long lifespan, few babies. We've never done that before. Hey, guys. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Let us know down in the comments below if you have some hot takes on the population moving forward, whether you think it needs to be smaller, bigger, or anything in between. And as always, continue sharing the show around with friends. That's been a huge help. Finally, if you have not used that link in my description to get your 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover for $150 off using code TRENDOFIRE at checkout, make sure you do that because you're going to sleep better than you ever have before. So check it out. Use that code TRENDOFIRE, T-R-E-N-D-I-F-I-E-R, and you'll get $150 off your own 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover today. I I have a serious question that's not going to come out as a serious question, but it is. True. Because where Japan is a great example to bring up because and I don't have I'll pull up the numbers in a minute, but you're spot on. We've seen contraction correlated with you know, when we dropped a couple bombs on them. That's neither here nor there. But yeah. we've seen it contract in the three, four generations since then. And it's now at a point where a lot of couples don't even have kids. There's and we're projecting numbers where it's like, well, they could disappear at some point. Is there also a correlated data point that shows that like a lot more women in Japan have IUDs than the United States? I would imagine somewhere there probably is. Um, I don't. I'm not very familiar with Japan, to be I, quite honest. That's such an interesting. My Google search history. Yeah, right, yeah. But Check that out. Japan, Japanese women. We're getting canceled for this one. IUDs. <laughs> IUD count. Um, or or Google this. I mean, Google working ages, uh, average education level. These things are all correlated. Um, and overall, they are a very net positive thing for society. It's okay for us to go from little uh, biological, you know, savanna apes like we are uh, to this collective hive mind of different nodes of 8 billion nodes around the world, all, you know, contributing to a global connected conscious that's okay i think we need to embrace it i don't think we need to be afraid of it so i would kind of i would love to sit down and hear mr uh, musk's thoughts on that i i think I we would, sh- you and me both yeah, yeah i think we should go through this transition i think he is right and this is where the whole malthusian background of me is in my opinion wrong and i've i've told people from that camp very recently you know damn 
I was wrong. Uh, you are right. We are not ready to go through this transition here yet as one of the stronger beacons of Western democracy in the, in the world. We got to know the implications before we just jump through the door ourselves. We're right. seeing issues in Japan. We're seeing issues in, in Germany. You saw Italy uh, um, earlier this, what, two years ago during COVID and uh, some of the challenges they still face today, just having an older population. Um, you've seen the pilot crises where, oh, we ran out of pilots. What does that really mean? It just means that the proportion mm. of our population that we used to bet on being 1.2 times bigger than the retirees is now equal or you, lesser than. You also got to pay for them. Yeah. And we didn't, we didn't fight in war as pilots. So we don't have this big mm -hmm. workforce to tap on, right? So that all these, when you hear shortages yeah. of workers, this and that, and you're like, well, how can that be? There's more people now than ever. It's not about how many people we have. It's about ratios and where, mm. they, where they fall in the population pyramid. Are they in their 20s? Are they at that lower level um, rising up in the workforce or are they 65 and planning on a check coming their way um, via paying into a system now, right? Uh, via social security or retirement, right? Where are you in the population period is a more important question when you hear about shortages than why do we not have enough pilots? Why do we not have enough this? Why do we not mm -hmm. have enough that? It's all about ratios. It's not about the bulk number per se, um, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about ratios, just think about the ratio. I haven't looked this up yet, but the ratio of people who live in condensed urban places versus everywhere else. And the ratio of the square mileage of each of those two environments. Yeah. So when you take a flight, which I never have, but if, if, cause I've never been out there, but I would imagine if I took off from JFK and went straight across the country to California and let's say it was on a private jet where we got to fly low and I could actually see shit the whole way. I'm going to be looking out at a lot of unused land. But every time I see a city or a high-end center of 100,000 people or more living within somewhat condensed of an area, well, now I see X number of people per square mile yeah. versus last time it was like I saw one per square mile for mm -hmm. fucking a thousand miles right there. So it's also a matter of what spreads people out. And and one of the things that I was thinking about on something we were talking about, I think right before camera, when you were, you said something to the effect of the energy that people live around. And by energy, you mean literally like oil, natural gas, resources, stuff like that, is completely correlated to their wealth, happiness, and the state of a society. And my only thing there is that, and I'll explain why this makes sense that I'm bringing it up in a second, but like, what does that mean for a lot of these countries around the world who have a fuck ton of oil and are disasters, like Venezuela, or look in the Middle East, even in Saudi Arabia, which is like a, a supposedly well-to-do high-end country. Well, they have an elite class, and then they got everyone else, and everyone else mm -hmm. is not balling. So it's like there are other factors, and there's – I feel like their point is – I feel like there's a lot of people who are blowing it. And why I brought up that silo is because when I'm flying across America in this case, and I look at the people living in rural areas, some of them may actually live on lands where there is like great oil and like energy resources, whatever. Those aside though, a lot of these people – the reason they live there 
not the reason, but like the fact that they live there versus the people who live in the city is also an economic and and life opportunity type ratio, average person, average person. Meaning in the city, you're more likely to have someone who's like trying to be some sort of executive in this part of the bracket of taxes within the country. And in the rural population, you're a lot less likely to have that. And you're someone who's – you're going to have someone who lives paycheck to paycheck more often. It obviously doesn't always work this way, but I'm saying on average. So maybe the people who are spread out among the land as well, it goes to show you that if our planet has X number of square miles of space, we really only have 1% of it that matters. Does that make sense? It it does and it it doesn't it doesn't but I think what you just said is very key right there right um, about a certain percent that matters that shows up as a reoccurring theme time and again it could be people tapping into a, a, a knowledge movement it could be hell it was only a few percent of the people in the American colonies that even wanted to to yeah. uh, to revolt right. so it only ever is a small percentage of these things that swings. Uh, the direction of our civilization a certain way. Um, but it's not physical proximity to energy. Um, it's energy access. So access mm. to energy, meaning how easily can I go illuminate my room? Uh, that book Rosling wrote, uh, he talks about a, a midwife in, I forget what country, somewhere in Africa. What was that called again? Factfulness? Uh, yeah, Factfulness. It's a great book. Uh, highly recommended. Um, a, a good fact-based way to be optimistic about our direction and trust me we need that right now um but anyway he's talking about how how much a flashlight when he asked this midwife what's the number one thing my team of doctors from sweden who i'm bringing here to sub-saharan africa to get exposure to what your the challenges you're seeing what is the number one thing we could get for you it was a flashlight a flashlight so she could see snakes while she's walking village to village, house wow. to house, to deliver babies on dirt floors. Yeah. A flashlight. Yeah. That is access to energy. That light eliminates some of her biggest risks, right? The snakes and the and the rolling your ankles and all these things going house to house. I see now. Okay. So it's simply your your ability to harness energy. That's all human beings do. And this big crazy thing we call life, we hear about entropy and chaos and physics and the thermodynamics and all this. All we do is harness energy as it's dissipating in the universe and make it do cool stuff for us. We want this microphone to amplify sound and be consistent and blah, 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 blah. Well, we designed it to do that. Well, we used oil and gas, likely, um, probably some amount of renewables in the grid mixture to mold the world around us into these bars, into these beams, into these wires and cables, into this foam. And we have it serve a job for us so that mm. we can build this big complex civilization and talk about shit like this and uh, talk about how a flashlight would change that midwife's life. Um, so it's energy access, not necessarily physical proximity. Um, and, and that means how easily can I turn my light switch on? So you can very easily be energy rich like Venezuela and just do an absolute shit job on managing that such that your population cannot go turn on that light switch. So their ease of access to that energy has been mishandled and mismanaged. And that is tragic. Mm. I hate seeing that around the world. And that is all too common a, a story for any, uh, not any, but many natural resource rich countries. Well, it's, 
it's a typical sad story of the fallacy of human power and and the desire for it that some people have. I often talk about on here with different people whatever that gene is that lives in I'd say 95% of say politicians for example where they say oh I want to I want power. Mm-hmm. Like I want I want to have control of everything. I wasn't born with that. I, I don't know what that feels like. I'm very fortunate, in my opinion, that I don't know what that feels like. It makes it all the more torturous, though, and hard for me to understand how the fuck another person could feel that way. Now, yeah. I don't like being told what to do, right? If you tell me – now, if you tell me something that makes sense, you say, Julian, don't go kill people. That makes a ton of sense. I'm not going to do that, right? Like, So yeah. it's not like, yo, fuck the, fuck the man on everything. That's not what I'm saying, but – I don't like telling people what to do. I, in fact, I fucking loathe it. And so it seems to me – it seems to me. Who the fuck am I? You look at human history. It's all some version of the same story. Like we, we're starting this talking about population and, and how that's affected over time and we're kind of butterflying affecting it into all these other parts of society and, and things like energy and, and how they control the wealth and health of a population and, and the future of people. It's like – all of it comes back to being stopped by the same thing. Another human being who has poor intentions, even if they don't realize it, because they want to tell other human beings what to do. That's, I think that's it, right? I, I think I said the same thing earlier too. We are our own worst enemy. We are, mm-hmm. we are the one thing that can, we're the one being that can make this whole thing work. We're the one thing that can mess it all up. Um, I think we all have the power and control thing in us. I think many of us don't have the affinity to want to jump right to that. But I think that whole, that phrase, the the line between good and evil lies in, you know, every human's head. It's Mm. all, it's all in here, all between the ears. I think that's true. I don't think it necessarily means that. I think the right intentions don't want to exert that control on others. And I think control was the key word you said there. I mean, power, power is great. I, 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 there are very few people that would turn down at least a temporary um, access to power or control an outcome that they're passionate about, right? If yes, you gave, if you that's gave, a different yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That's a different thing. That's not what I'm talking – just to be clear, I'm talking about power when it comes to a human being wanting power to exert that over other people for okay. the joy that they get from doing that. Yeah. That's what I mean. There's other types of power. Totally agree. Good stuff. That type of power is what I'm not about. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I okay. don't I don't like that either. I that's why I, I live in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Austin's the eject button these days. It, it's it like is you know great. what? Fuck it. I'm out. <laughs> it's a great eject button, and people think it's so you know one way or the other, or it's all hippies, or it's this or that. And I mean, yeah, in a great way it is, um, but it's also very much like you. Like, leave me alone. Don't tell me what to do. Um, you know, to each their own. It's very, in my opinion, it's a very very classic western liberal city it's like a Mm. beacon of uh 21st century hope i think for western liberalism in the Uh, heart in the heart of fucking texas (laughs) of course in the heart of texas i think texas is one of those beacons as well but i'm also biased so yeah it's but it's interesting because you know what the stereotypes can say but then you have a city like austin there that's i mean i'd argue right now i'm not sure there's a more important city in texas i would argue yeah i would Ooh, it's tough because it's, it's tough, but number four in size and uh, business influence. Well, 
maybe bigger than San Antonio in business, but but look at the concentration of talent there. Yeah, absolutely. You have tech going there. Yeah, I mean, tech in Austin, a lot of uh, energy and finance in Dallas, a lot of energy finance and healthcare in Houston, and then more energy in San Antonio. Right. Um, yeah. I think in general, Texas is one of those places, and I love that there's a stereotype because that gives me the ability to go around the world, meet cool people, have awesome conversations, and then go, holy shit, I can't believe you're from Texas. And you're like, what do you mean? Like, this is Texas. Like, this is what it's like. Like, th this is a lot of places. Where did you grow up again? Uh, Houston. Right. So the big uh, industrial, kind of uglier one of our four cities, but hey. Not that I know more than what I can really know about Texas, not being from there, but like, I feel like it's kind of different when you say you're from Houston. It's definitely different when you say you're from Austin, but like when you say you're from Houston, that's not this, the stereotype of Texas does not go into people's minds when they think that they think more like a, like, you know, a city like Philly kind of, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like Philly in the South. It It doesn't come across like, Welcome to Texas. Texas. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, it still is like that. Don't get me wrong. Rodeo's massive. Big, giant livestock show in rodeos. That was like an event in high school you'd, you'd go to. And, and definitely later, I just left after high school. Um, but, yeah, no, Houston's the third largest city in our country. Texas has four of now? the top ten are in Texas. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Houston's the third largest city in America. I think it's passing Chicago right now. It was fourth as of like the 2010 or 15. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. I think the the classic list was New San York. San Francisco? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the classic list was New York, LA, Chicago, Houston, Philly. Then the rest. No way. Philly couldn't have been on that list. Philly was on the list. Promise. Come on. Yeah. I mean, this was, again, a census. I, mean, I love Philly. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a South Jersey guy, but like, yeah. Philly's a town. That's not a city. It's a city, man. It's a town. It's a city. I lo I love it. It's a town. I can walk. New York's around. a city. Philly's a city. Philly, I go to the same four fucking bars every time. It's a small city. Is that a city? Yeah. If you can... when I walk into a bar, I'm going to run into someone from every walk of my life, every era of my life, every generation. I'm going, and this isn't great when it's every fucking time you go there. Right? Like, if it's once in a while, okay, cool. That's why I like visiting Philly. You know, I, I was a New York guy because you can blend in in New York. Yeah. You know what I mean? Disappear a little bit. Um, yeah. That's on y'all, okay? That, that's, on, <laughs> uh, that, that's on the group that got me introduced to you. That's on y'all. Y'all, you run into people. That group runs into people everywhere. You go to the coast in the summer. Uh, everyone congregates. They all know each other. You know, Jersey Shore is like all cousins. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just like. Yeah, yeah. Jersey, Delaware. Um, half of Philly too. Everyone seems to know each other. It's a very tight circle, um, but it's also huge. It's massive. Like the network is huge. Um, but I would say that that's kind of on, on y'all's people. Philly's a city to me because you can not own a car for years, not think about it, not miss it. Walk around. You have 40 different types of uh, culture, cultural food in a four block radius and uh, there's concrete everywhere and there's no grass. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously <laughs> obviously, I'm exaggerating. But still, I know, like, I, know. I think I'm talking about it from the sense of where my, I guess, like, 
starting point is. And, you know, I came up as I was growing, like, into an adult in New York, right? So let's be real. New York is, like, one of the biggest cities in the world. That's here. Right. So You're spoiled. I usually think about it like Brooklyn's literally bigger than Philly. So in my head, because Brooklyn feels small to me. Like, it doesn't feel like it's not, but it doesn't feel like that big. You know, it definitely stretches a lot, but you feel like you can kind of cover it. Yeah. So then when I'm like, well, I forget what it is. Maybe it's like double the size of Philly or something. You start thinking about that. You're like, we haven't even talked about Manhattan yet from a population standpoint. We haven't talked about the Bronx, Queens. I mean, shit, even Staten Island. Wait, you know? is, is Brooklyn more population than Philly? Yeah, let me let me double check that. Okay, so that... Population... I think Philly's Brooklyn like 2.5 or something. Versus Philadelphia. Yep. Wow. 2.5 million in Brooklyn, one underneath 1.6 in Philly. Get out. Yeah. Now I'll look up the population of Mississippi. And this is going to be my uh, comparison coming from Houston, living in Mississippi for five years. You lived in Mississippi for five years? I, I did. I went to Ole Miss. Sorry to hear that. Oh, no. It's a great place. Uh, I yeah. love Mississippi. I've never been there. I'm sure it's It's great. a great place. Um I think it was I Faulkner. Like they'd be horrified of me, but ah, nah. That's what we all thought about Philly before I moved here. Two point nine eight two million. Okay, well, about the same size. Yeah. Now, how many? A neighborhood and a state. Yeah. No, it's true. That's that. That's that does put it in perspective. Yeah. I'm used to like, like I freak out when I'm in really, really rural areas. I've heard you say that before. Yeah. That's why you need to come to Austin. Yeah. Go to the ranch. Rom went recently. Uh, see space. Go to the what? Ranch. The what? Yeah, exactly. What, what are you doing on a ranch? Uh, well, me. I know the dressing, but you know. Yeah, yeah me not much. Me not much. Uh, I am, like, if you talk to anyone that's a real rancher or a country guy, this is a city guy right here. Me. Right. Um, but yeah, you just, uh, depends, depends on what kind of ranch. A lot of people have working cattle operations. In Austin? Outside of Austin. Okay, Outside I was going to say. Yeah. It's not like in, they're not, no. there's not fucking cattle operations down Main Boulevard there. No, but if you drive down Westheimer in Houston, which is a main road, there definitely used to be some cow pastures still, quote, in the city. Hmm. Um, but, you know, that's a, it's a big space thing. That's why mm. I like Philly's city feel because it's <laughs> so condensed and small. It is very condensed. Versus a city like Houston where, the neighborhoods are like the whole state of Jersey, which is kind of rural, but kind of, mm. you know, there's neighborhoods. And then the city part is still, you know, mostly just strip centers and uh, more mixed use coming now, but you still have to drive everywhere. I don't like that about, about uh, LA. I don't like that about Houston. I don't like that about Dallas. I like that I can walk around where I live in Austin and I really loved being able to walk or use public transit in Philly Maybe not so much the latter part in Philly, but in New York and in other, you know, European cities and such. That is a really good boost for quality of life, I think. Uh, getting that density up mm. versus just the total complete urban sprawl, drive everywhere, live in a car. You know, there's two kinds of ways to build a city. You go L.A. style or you go. Yes, you're talking about L.A. Yeah. Yeah. Well, L.A., Houston, there's a lot of cities like that. Yeah, see, I can't really speak on that because I haven't been there. I feel those are two I feel like I know pretty well from the outside as well as you can, I should say. But like, I I do I want to get out there soon. Like, I want to see LA come. and see what that is. I want to see Houston, see what that is. But yeah, I mean, it, you're also a guy like to put perspective on it. Like, you travel a lot. 
I do for your work. I do. And you're I, going out of the country a lot too. Yeah, I um, I kind of grew up in a family that did that. I mean, my dad, my dad is from Sweden. He moved here to the mm. states when he was, you know, after thirty. So um, older than we both are right <laughs> now. He was still over there in Sweden. Um, the Swedes as a people are, I think, the most well-traveled uh, population in the world. That might be something really? you got to check, check me on. But yeah, I will. Um, I'm pretty sure they're one of the most well-traveled or um, dispersed populations in the world. And they're a very small country, but I love them because they, they really kind of punch above their weight in, in most regards. And I love those stories and, and everything, right? And Before we get into that, though, yeah. I just remembered this because I forgot to bring this to you. I just want to say this for the record, but I had pulled up. There's a page on Wikipedia called Birth Control in Japan. It turns out it's rubbers. Okay. 80% oh. of them like condoms. They're doing like the 1960 shit here. Like or were coerced into using? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I'm, Listen, these, th this is a free country. These women can make a choice for themselves. I respect their choice. But like 80% of them are using bags? I was expecting to see like... You know, 35, 40% got an IUD going on yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't even fucking see that on here. Uh, it is. It might be dated. No? I don't know. That's it is Wikipedia. You never know. But, but yeah. It, anyway, back to the Swedes. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, the, Japan would have gone through this with or without that. Um, there's there's a number of factors that lead into having fewer kids. Who's got the most... Uh, What do they call them? Centaurians? People that live past 100. What country's got the most of them in the world? Oh, Japan does, right? What is What was the science behind that again? Oh, there's a... Here's what we're learning, right? All these new fields like stomach health, you know, you hear the word holistic thrown around a lot, uh -huh. systems thinking. Really what that means is we're kind of entering a, a more complex era where issues can be solved that weren't A plus B equals C. Like we don't need to be so linear about our problem solving anymore. We now have we now have Wikipedia. We now have AI. We now have mm. the world at our fingertips, right? We can solve a lot tougher and and a higher level of, of challenges than we were previously able to. So that that goes right back to this uh same same kind of thing. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. Are, are you referring to, if I could translate that, just and I may be making a stretch here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but are you talking about how it's almost like we went circle of life on this with, say, the approach to health and medicine because we got into the 20th century where now we started to create products to be able to investigate and attack and attack certain things viruses stuff like that heal or treat ongoing issues and now now that the world has access to those things most most of which are, are very very good obviously we pay attention to all the negative ones but there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that's incredible about medicine that's allowed us to get the numbers that we do but now we have all that and because of the society and the progress that we live in in countries around the world that are fortunate enough to to be on a similar wavelength we now have things like a lot of people living even longer than they did, even if they were always a healthy population. Now, instead of 70, 100 years ago, they're, they're living to 100. So are you saying that like the things that those people do living in the same world that we live in 
is leading to people to say, okay, I'm kind of, they're not saying this, but let's take for granted the fact that we have all this great medicine. For granted is the wrong way to put that, but you understand what I mean for the sake of argument. Like, we have that, cool. Now let's real, let's see if we can like gamify it and avoid using all that. And do things completely naturally because we live in a world where we have a lot of the – like we can talk about the Pluto fucking proteins, which is not a real thing. But you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, all the triglycerides and shit like that that you can literally break down mathematically like you were saying, like solve a problem to be able to to optimize your body over time to prevent health problems from arising. Is that what you're trying to say? Kind of, yeah. I, okay. I, I'm basically saying that our level one, like our ability to solve one plus one equals two, but that level of health problem, right? You know, don't poop in the water and drink the contaminated water. Right. We're still battling that globally. That is still the leading cause of death for, for infants and children on Earth to this very day. That is still number one, um, which is insane. Uh, and it's Not a major problem. about it. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. But but I'm saying in these countries where we are living to past seventy, um, where we where we have robust uh, healthcare systems. I'm not saying that ours is without many many issues, um, but we still have a very very strong innovative field. We are still leading a lot of cutting edge science in in the uh, health and wellness fields. I'm saying we've solved a lot of the simple problems. Now we are moving on to these more complex issues. Like I have uh, not the greatest gut and I have some issues with high fatty foods. If uh, stress or anxiety is bad and I don't eat well, you know, and I drink alcohol, this thing is done. Back in the day, that was a treat, treat the symptom, you know, just take mm. one thing for that. Today we're, we're saying, whoa, you know, ooh, the gut is the second brain and it's got a lot of the immune system there and a lot of the, um, nervous system there and there are 25 different factors that all contribute to the instantaneous health and well-being of that organ system you know back in the day if there was more than one or two throw some leeches on them bleed them i don't know you know throw some smoke around them chant something right we didn't have solutions for everything so we attributed those things to mysticism to stories mm. um today we've answered a lot of the simple questions now we've moved on to level two i get it now so now okay. we're looking at things that that have you know a complex system contributing to a complex system and and it's uh i hate to say the very overused but it's a lot of systems thinking it's a lot of um know, it's a lot of complicated math too so if if i could break this down into three generations so to speak three yeah. eras of our approach to health Era one was the identification era. Someone gets a, a weird flu. They want to figure out why they got it. Oh, did I let someone cough on me? Oh, shit. Let's not do that. Oh, sorry. We lost Jimmy. He died. Right? Because we don't have the things to, to attack it yet. Right? They were identifying it. Through the identification, they start into era two, where now they formulate things that can attack these things, be it cancer, be it be it flus be it whatever ailments afflictions broken bones whatever it is era three now is the prevent era so now we have a i mean you're always finding some new rare thing to come up but we have a litany of the problems identified we have all kinds of potential solutions we can use to attack them and now we can do things to prevent them from happening in the first place 
yes. But in addition to that, on the problem side, we are now also identifying more complex problems. Yes, problems yes, were before yes. we would throw our hands up. And again, I'm not a healthcare expert right, right. by any means or in the medical field for that matter. But um, our problem solving ability has greatly elevated as a society globally. Um, that, that crosses borders, that crosses nationalities and all kinds of boundaries. We are figuring problems out that we didn't stand a chance against 30 years ago. And they're, they're being solved by someone on a flip phone in a village that barely has access to, you know, clean water. I mean, these, the genie's out of the bottle now. So now we have essentially fully unleashed the human mind to connect with other human minds and do something with it, right? Share knowledge, stand on the shoulders of giants together, solve more complex issues. Um, this one, like my stomach thing, a lot of people our age have stomach problems. Uh, they don't know what it is. They're not really diagnosed with, you know, I, I don't have a, a dairy intolerance or anything. I don't have all this stuff, you know, diagnosable yeah. thing. But, you know, a, a, uh, a doctor that would look at all the systems contributing to that, you know, mental health, everything contributing to the health of the gut would say, hey, you got to manage eight to ten factors if you want to feel good. You can't just cut out dairy. It's not going to do it for you. We, I'm just saying that in addition to that piece, right, where we've moved yes. to prevent, um, and that's leading to our, us living longer, we're also moving to harder to solve problems. Um, we're also moving beyond just the elementary level of one plus one equals two, you know, reverse solve that. Two minus one equals what? Now we're doing mm. differential equations and, and crazy calculus and stuff instead of just linear, uh, you know, linear math, linear algebra. How I'm curious, like, how you think of these things because you're a very, very observing guy. That's, that's clear. You're, you're somebody who you're walking into a room and getting used to your surroundings and figuring out why things are in a genuinely curious way and, and like with the best intentions. But also being a guy who, who travels to so many different places and sees so many different things, you're seeing, I would imagine, all different types of countries from poor to rich or middle of the spectrum, whatever it may be. Do you, the way you're talking right now, I don't know if I can put this in words right, but like the way you're talking right now about this approach to problem solving and stuff like that, do you naturally see places where you, you kind of leave and you feel like, oh, they get it, while also seeing places where you're like, oh, they're so fucked because they don't, you know, their environment is not, it's not breeding an encouragement to think that way. Yeah, or a platform, or mm. I don't even—I don't even want to say the word safe space. But <laughs> yeah, but a, a um, yeah, it's not conducive to problem solving or to nurturing minds or let's let's say for what it is, nurturing curiosity. Right. Right. Like, um, you know, I, I try to be an observant person. I need to be a better listener. I definitely like to have my back at the wall at the restaurant, just so the whole playing field's in front mm -hmm. of me. Um, yes, I leave different places, and sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, these challenges are going to be very hard to solve. Other times, you almost break your chest because you're beating it so hard because they see, the problems seem so solvable. The, the waste crises of, a, uh, of a, a favela in Brazil they can be solved easier than we think they, you know, it, it's not as hard as we think. It's, it's, uh, when you break things down to, to first principles and think, what are we doing? 
What could we be doing? How do we limit human suffering? Sometimes it's not that difficult. I would say this though, it's not so easy to paint country by country, city by city. Mm. It's really all the way down to the level of individuals now. So there are people, there are minds in all kinds of different settings around the world that are doing their best to stay as in tune and as up to date with some of the leading, you know, arguments and leading um, fields of knowledge as they're unfolding. There are minds that are staying right up to 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 date with that in in you know rural parts of India. I'm sure mm. through through this through these things, yeah. right? We've truly unleashed the human mind in our lifetime. Like this has happened in just the last few years. This is not something we've done before. We don't know what the heck we're doing, right? We've never gone through a demographic transition globally. We've never had a, con exactly. a country with more than a hundred living people over a hundred years old. I think they're over a thousand now or 10,000, something like that, something crazy. It's crazy to be yeah. able to watch a video from Greece and identify with all the people there, even if you've never been there before. Now I have, that was a poor example, but let's say from Germany or something, yeah. there's a place I've never been. It's crazy to see the reach you have. You can go online right now and go to a random chat room and talk with someone anywhere. Almost, yeah. Minus countries that, that literally don't have the internet or most people don't. Yeah. The access is insane. But we even take it for granted on that part of it because let's look at it on a more micro scale and how insane it still is. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason we have such a problem online with opposites – forming and getting stronger is because the opposites have a place to find themselves now find each other find the opposite find the other person that they can fight with that gives them meaning so you know 20 years ago the fucking dude in iowa and the kid in in new york they had no way of seeing each other or interacting or knowing what each other's reality was. And they didn't care. And they got along with life. They had a good time. You know, they, they probably did a lot of the same things. I'm sure they had differing opinions and views. That's natural. But, like, it didn't fucking matter. Fast forward to now. Well, now that's, that's not the case. Now you have people who essentially they, they think they know everything about the other. They, they can go pick a fight from behind a keyboard at any time. They want to tell the other person how to live. I mean it scares the shit out of me when I get a CIA spy in here who was undercover in serious places. He's yeah. done some serious shit and he says a lot of shit, some stuff that I certainly disagree with that people out there will disagree with. But this is a galaxy brain of a human being who doesn't see the world how he wants to see it. He sees it how it, how it is. And when he's saying things to me – very matter-of-factly, like, yeah, in case you've never really boiled it down, it's not just that politics are extreme. It's that the two sides literally don't want the other to exist. Yeah. That is because they can go find them. That is because of this access. So when you talk about this giant experiment of a demographic shift happening globally for the first time, the words new normal have always been the two most dangerous words ever spoken because we then try to make assumptions like, oh, well, this is just how things are going to be. In reality, human beings come back to the traits that we always do that are both good and bad. However, from a standpoint of the reach of those given traits on a massive scale, fuck yeah, we are in a new normal. We have never had a world that, that lets you – 
that lets you have this access. And like, I mean, if you really want to think of it the most simple way, and it's also the saddest way too, these same people fighting online, if they were like, if they got in a, in a car crash on the side of the road, the average one of them, the other who they hate would come and fucking help them. And they would help them with the, with the, they would help the other with the shoe on the other foot. And yet, even when those types of situations happen, people leave the scene of the accident, everyone's okay, and they go right back to doing it. Fuck you, die. Tweet. Because we separated them from their humanity. Yes. Uh, when you put people, you've just brought up a beautiful point. When you put them in that car wreck scenario, or hell, a coffee shop scenario, or a debate stage even, you know, mind you, that one gets a little, little crazy sometimes. <laughs> But the better humanity comes out. I believe the better humanity will win. I believe that. Hope you're right. We don't really have a choice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I agree with you. But yeah, go ahead. It's that or we don't. Uh, we don't make it work, and and I don't think that's an option. Failure is not an option when it comes to our civilization. So we need to figure a lot of this stuff out. We have to lean into the better parts of our humanity. That doesn't mean hey, don't do a mean tweet. Do it if you're pissed off. I don't care. But when you're hanging out with your friends, this goes to everybody or your family. And we know we're all imperfect beings. We know we all have our own problems. We know everyone's got their shit. We all do. To, to think that you're going to have some life where you're all good and there is no bad, there is no shadow self. Wouldn't be fun. It will, one, it would be boring as hell. Two, that shadow self, that is the battle that if we win internally, collectively, we will dominate externally. We have to win internally. Each one of us, each individual in the world has to understand that the light and the dark, the good and the bad, whatever you want to call it, whatever, you know, monotheistic religion labels you might want to put on that to make it match your worldview, your upbringing, your story that your family or your friends also uh, share, whatever you need to call it, understand that both of those things exist in your mind. And if we don't find our better humanity, both as individuals, but also as close relationships, right? Mm -hmm. With our friends and family. We need to lean into what's good in each other and bring that out and help each other squash what's bad. If we could just do that with the closest two people in each of our lives, we will we will build a clean economy. We will figure out this inner, uh, Europe energy crisis that's coming this winter. You know, we will figure out a zero carbon economy. We'll figure all that stuff out. It just starts with leaning into the better parts of our humanity and by bringing out the best parts of it in each other. And that's not a task of, hey, you know, you know, Julian, go bring it out for the world. No, no, no. Bring it out for your, your two closest homies. Just do that. Just say, hey, man, Start I noticed somewhere. this stuff. Yeah. I noticed you're going through all this. I noticed, you know, you have this too. I love this part of you. That, that's, the, that's the one we want to bring out. Like, what can we do to support that? And then what can we do to talk through this other part over here? If we could all just do that, we're good. I agree. I just, I worry about how possible that is in the short term without conflict. Oh, there it's will just, be conflict. look, and, and that's, but you know what I'm talking about with that. And I hate this. I fucking hate this conversation. The people who, I'll tell you this, the people who are fighting on Twitter mm. from the right and the left are the exact people who don't think about this because they trust me when I tell you those motherfuckers, 99% of them, they don't want the smoke at all mm -hmm. when it comes to war, when it comes to 
like actual real problems. And I talk about those. The reason I say I hate having this conversation is because I can't stand even the idea of being like, oh, my God, there's going to be an inevitable war of something. But just unfortunately, you have to look at the patterns of human beings. <clears throat> and we are now in the fourth generation post mass war. Right. The, and let me amend that slightly. Vietnam was a mass war. There was a draft that was and it was also not a good war. Right. But it was a war we don't like to remember because we didn't exactly win. What were we really fighting for? Like, yes, we were fighting against like communism, but like what else was going on there? Right. It's not we don't think about them the way we think of the. Nazi enemies and, and the Japanese enemies and everything. So, you know, if you if you think past just that, well, that brings you to Desert Storm, which was two days. Brings you to Iraq, which was an, uh, an awful war and everything. But again, not a draft. It's people who chose to be over there. We are removed from it. We don't live in a world like the Israelis live where they have to – they're – is it called conscripted? Is that the term? Conscription? Or, yeah, yeah. I think – if I got that wrong, sorry. But like they're forced to do whatever it is, two or three years in the military when they come of age. It's like, well, we don't have an appreciation for that because we've never had to do it. It's a choice. Yeah. It's all a choice. I mean, hell, Switzerland does some stuff like that. I, Sweden at least did for a long time, I think. All of my cousins have gone through military training, uh, male, female, men, women. Whoever. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that, mind you, that's Sweden, the country we think is usually so neutral they don't even have a slingshot. Um, now they actually have special forces and uh, have, have worked with uh, with us on several different uh, – Isn't that Switzerland though that we think of that, neutral? We think both. We because do? Because both were ish. Switzerland, not so much in World War II. Sweden was because oh, both sides true. couldn't afford to cut off the iron ore supply chain. Well, the Swiss bankers weren't neutral. Exactly. And, and nor were the Swedes. If you really look at it, their iron went into both sides. So I guess you can call that neutral, but it's not neutral from the fact of not participating. Yeah. It's kind of like being on both sides, which... But still, imagine like technically not being in the fighting over there. Like you're yeah. you're in the middle. Yeah. Like during the, forget the world war. Like that was where the battlefield was. Mm -hmm. Like how insane. Like they both deserve credit for that. They, they, I, there were bad actors in both, yeah. but like I agree. I, I guess it's credit. Is I, it? I think it's credit. I, I was going to say in Sweden's. I mean, granted, Switzerland's down know. there, landlocked with these countries, right? So they they probably had banners in the streets and this and that, and um, you know, armies rolling through to go over to France right. or whatever. Um, granted, you're in the mountains, maybe not there particularly, but yeah, you know, Sweden was never occupied by Germany. I do say credit. It's that epitomizes that country. They found a way to be liked just enough by both sides, where both sides were, eh, don't fuck with them. Yeah, well, and that's that's where the question becomes because it's you know you you also brought up something earlier that's a topic I I don't know if the words like but. It's something good to talk about because it makes you think for sure. And it's the concept of good versus bad. Now, the reason I think of that right now is because, yeah, like a thousand times out of a thousand, I feel really good about the fact that 
oh, we were so net good in World War II, comparatively speaking, right? Like, be, and and even if even if you want to play cynic and say, well, we did a lot of shit too, fine. They were that bad, though. Like the Nazis were that bad, and we forget about the shit happening in Japan too. But like, let's focus on the Nazis for a second. Hitler was that bad. And then you remember that, like, well, good and bad is just a perspective. So what can you really say? I struggle with that with the most extreme examples, though, because good and bad at the heart of it, my, before you get in the middle of borders and countries and religions and all the shit that we create as man, which is at the middle of all this stuff, before you get into that, you still have man and man, woman and woman. And just like I said in another example earlier, you tell me not to kill – good idea yeah that's that makes sense to me like you shouldn't do that and here you have a regime that systematically executed i think that what was the total number like 11 million in total they they murdered six million jewish in people camp, or yeah, yeah 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 six million was the number that was thrown around for a lot of our lifetime for the jewish part of for it Ju yeah exactly and then there was also all these other people like they were anything they didn't like they were other exactly us them see that's bad us that, and them is always bad, no matter what. Even if it's, mm. I, I was going to count on you this, yeah. right? Even if it's for the American side, right? Isn't it? Isn't creating an us and them just yeah. inherently going to get us apart and away from our humanity? Yes. If there are them in the ditch when their caravan crashes and pulls over, there are them. If they're just a person like us, you're going to get out and help them. I don't care where you sit politically or where that caravan came from, right? Like. You're probably going to help them as long as they don't turn around and aim a rifle at your forehead. Mm. Fine, right? Us and them, always bad. Always bad. Um, in my opinion. I was going to challenge you too on the World War II point, right? Why Please, yeah. Why were we good and they were bad? And, you notice, and I said, we, notice I said net good. Okay. 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 I, I like that. I like that. Because um, they were that – and that's what I'm saying. Like forget us for a second. Forget whether you want to label it good or bad overall. They were that bad. They but they were that bad. They weren't, you know, you weren't making a mountain out of a molehill to prove your point with them. They had the they had a mountain range. Mm -hmm. And they had piles of dead yes. bodies to show it. Literally and, and mountains of bodies. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, they didn't help themselves in that case, I would no, say. No, no. I would say, I would try to flip it a little bit and say, I, I want us to look at the value set we fought for in World War II. Because we always forget about that. We didn't, we didn't fight, like, what did we really win in World War II? We love to say that, right, in, in the States. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, when we won World War II and this and that. Okay, you know, did we? And what did that mean? What was the point? Did, did, do we all really believe that Germany had enough people to occupy all of the world? With, or are they going to have one guy watching all of Texas? Good luck. With, <laughs> no, no, but with. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
the ability to go demoralize and take control and get enough people, again, play to people's power and say, oh, well, you can be a part of us now. So it's about a value set. Yes. And that value set is the same thing that that man right there talks about when he's trying yeah, yeah, when he's, yeah, I should, Elon, uh, for those. No, that's my job. You're good. Yeah, yeah, You're good. Um, it's the same value set, right? It's, it's that, it's the same value set that people that want to rip our system down forget to, to remember. It, it's that inherent belief in individualism and creativity. Mm. That, that there is a Julian in your brain, that there is an Eric. Now, that assumption might scientifically in the next 10, 15, 20 years have some chinks in its armor, and that's okay. How so? We don't know if we, we will be able to, um, you know, boil what's in here down to a physical single oh, thing, right? right? right. It, it might okay. be at its base unit, it might be a minimum intera interaction of uh, neural pathways that might mean I, my core Eric is 14 general feelings and memories or something that together, okay, now that blob of electrical impulses interacting, now that looks like Eric. Okay. And then everything else, oh yeah, now it's definitely him. Whoa. You know, we got there. Um, we don't know if we're going to be able to boil it all the way down to one single thing, right? Um, that's okay. Because for purposes of getting us from 1940s to today, it was a damn good assumption. And yes. we still feel like that today. We still feel like we have our little inner uh, voice or we have, um, you know, an individual in our mind and we have creativity and we built this whole economic system around it and this capitalist system where we bank on that innovation and creativity at the expense of being taken care of by the state. So it's supposed to be a cruel system, right? It's supposed to be cruel. You're supposed to be on the street if you if you fail. I hate saying that. I mean, I don't want anyone to live like that, but you don't get that upside to innovate yeah. a rocket ship at one-tenth, an order of magnitude, the footprint and cost. Right. You don't get that upside without that downside. It, every, That's, that is life. That there, is life. There, there is, there is, it is the zero-sum game of life. You have... There, there's people that have to be on the losing side for there to be winners. And that's, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe no, not. No, no, I mean, let me, yeah, let me before. Yeah, yeah, you're let right. Let me make sure I say that right. Because <laughs> you're, I, I think I know what you're going to say. But like, you can have things where there's just a winner and no one loses. But for all of those things, you are also going to have situations where there, in other ways, where there is only losers and no one wins. And so things even out overall across the full spectrum of society, they even out. And then within that, yes, you have a lot of like one team wins the championship in a league at the end of the year for now, apparently, right? You know, you have the winner. Everyone else goes home. They don't win, you know? So there's still that, but it's, it's an interesting way you put it, talking about relating it to like creativity and the, that expression and I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here right now, but it's almost like like when you're talking about people just kind of went with the flow after World War II and those generations and were like, oh, let's just ride this wave. Now we're at the part of the wave where there's enough conflict and problem where people are starting to wonder, even if they don't recognize in their head, are we at the last gasp of this? Is are we? Is creativity not going to – when we're reading each other's minds 20 years from now, who the fuck cares about creativity? You can fucking draw something in the air. 
perfectly. <laughs> that that's that's funny. I like that. That was a good one. Yeah. Thank um, you. I would say this though. I don't think we need a loser for every winner. What I meant by that cruel system, I just meant, look, when you have these big, powerful states, like we tried in communism, or when you have a lot of centralized control, well, to get to that ideal state in communism, you end up putting a lot of power and control with a, a few. And every time you do that, every single time you do that in human history, because that line between good and evil goes between every one of our minds. When you put people in those situations, you're messing with their balance. That line that you, you might have seen them manage that evil side or that shadow self pretty well leading up to this position of power, put them in there and the whole thing changes. So I'm just saying post-World War II, what we really fought for, the value set we, we sort of won was the Western liberal ideals, right? The, the individual, uh, beauties in the eye of the beholder, the humanist movement, the modern mm. humanist religion that they talk about. That's all a product of post-World War II, uh, you know, Western liberalism kind of, I'm not going to say booming and busting, but but booming and flourishing and then running out to where we are right now, which you just said, kind of feels like it's a last gasp. It kind of feels like, hmm, was, you know, as, as Harari, um, that writer of Sapiens and 21st, yes, yeah, yes. as he puts it, he, he says, uh, I think it was him. Yeah, humans think in stories and the Western liberal story sort of united and, and kind of won out over fascism and communism post-World War II. And that was supposed to be it, right? Like that was supposed to be our society. That was the, as he puts it, and, and as they put it at the time, the end of history, we've made it. It's, you know, we're here now. We just grow and run right off into the sunset. Well, turns out that wasn't so, so true, right? We, Why is that? Because our baseline assumptions were probably not correct on the individual, mm -hmm. on a number of these things. And you said it earlier. We both said it earlier. You've heard this phrase before, hard times create yes. strong people, strong people create good times, good times create soft, soft people. Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, same kind of thing is happening right now, right? Yes. Where they have like uh, steady generations. Um, there's a terminology for it. Millennials happen to be one where it's like the crisis generation where a lot of these things- You're talking about the fourth turning. Yeah, maybe. The millennials are the hero generation. And then and the- And heroes come of age in the crisis Yes. Era. Yes. And then the next generation is the revolution generation or something? The next gener the generation below the millennials, in this case, in the the way the fourth turning works, it's a sociology book from the 1990s that is oh, okay. eerily, eerily fucking accurate. Um, but they went back and patterned human history over time and broke it down into what averages roughly 21, I believe it's 21 and a half year segments. Yes. And everything goes in fours. And so that means that there's four different types of generations. You have the prophets, you have the nomads, you have the heroes, and you have the artists. The prophets are children, meaning zero to 21 years of age, during the post-crisis era. So think of it this way. The prophets... We're the baby boomers who were born right after World War II. The prophets will always be children right after a crisis when things are good or when things have a chance to now take a turn towards good. Or when you settle on a story. 
Yes, actually, that's yeah, that's a good way to put it. Next is the nomads. I want people to think about the Gen X and their parents were the first generation that had significant rise in divorce rate. It was the first time where we started to see some families, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, maybe have slightly fewer kids. It was far enough past World War II where some things were starting to be taken for granted. And so the overall average connection, parent to child, parent to Gen Xer, was not as tight as other generations. After, So they're the nomad. They're kind of lost. After that comes the heroes. You could say things start to fray in the nomad generation. Things start to kind of loosen up from that tight story we all had in the prophet. That's a great – fray is a yeah. great word. I'm going to use that. That's good. But yes, it starts to fray. Next is the hero generation. The hero generation's parents can be the older Gen Xers or the boomers. And they will always come of age when, as I said, when the crisis is happening. So what that means is the four age brackets are 0 to 21 roughly, uh, 21 to like 43, 44, whatever, 43, 44 to 64. And then above that is – your twilight years. They may need to add a fifth at some point here. But that's the the point is whenever the hero generation is between 21 and 42, shit's hitting the fan. So the last hero generation before the millennials was the greatest generation where shit was hitting the fan in World War II. Now we look around now and go, well, we're soft as fuck because in our society in the cycle of time, we have created softer people because of all the great comfort that we have won for ourselves post-World War II. So we talk about, ironically, the hero generation of millennials. I think part of the reason we see Gen Z so heavy in in a lot of good things and then like some – to put a term on it that I don't want people to take fully out of context, like a lot of activism and stuff like mm-hmm. that, that's not normal. That's not normal for that generation. Gen Z is supposed to be the artists. The artists are children during the crisis. You know who the last artists were? The kids being raised during the fucking Great Depression and the World War, right? So they're used to the darkness. Like Mm -hmm. my grandparents are still around. They are children of the Great Depression and the World War. They still – they're not missing any meals, but they'll still look, oh, is that orange 25 cents or 30 cents, right? I don't know who's getting oranges for 30 cents, but you get the point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's what they know. This generation, Gen Z, is growing up like they were born into the financial crisis, the the fucking joke war in Iraq, the the false war in Iraq, I should say. It's not a joke. The 2010s of just political unrest and, and just the wealth gap going like that, like a V after the crisis. Fucking coronavirus. You know, whatever's happening right now where the things are supposed to come to a head – by like 2025, 2026. I don't know what that is. I hope they're wrong about that. Like they're growing up in this, but they have like a lot of that leadership gene. I think that's because there is a lot of that gene missing from millennials. I think millennials want to listen to directions and give directions more than any other generation ever. Okay. I I would agree with you on that. I think though, you said there was a word you said in there about a minute and a half ago, comfort. Yeah, yeah. comfort is it, it's how we forget our story. 
when we're comfortable, we forget that a hundred years ago, Great Britain, Spain, Germany, Sweden, the U.S., all of these places were de like truly developing. I mean, we didn't have easy access to energy. We didn't we didn't have great easy lives. I mean, people did die young. Uh, we forget that we're so easily removed from the story that is ours through comfort mm -hmm. that we forget our core values. And when we do that, which I think what you're saying, the millennial generation has definitely forgotten a lot of them. That fray turns into just a full on rip, right? That turns into, it's not together anymore. And so I, I definitely agree with you. I think millennials have, we have our work cut out for us, man. We, if we don't show Gen Z that there is a way to be America, to be a liberal Western democracy in a modern time with biotech, with infotech, all these things coming together with, with through the singularity, through AI, through all this stuff. If we don't show them that there is a way to be us and build a sustainable economy, you know, and do clean energy, if we don't show them that, then I don't blame them for being that revolution generation. You know, I don't blame them for bucking the story altogether. We're not doing a good job translating our this is like a four by four and we're the third leg. Don't screw it up, millennials. Like we need to get this story right. We need to get Gen Z inspired. We need them to realize we can be free. We can be an individual respecting society that uh, is capitalistic in nature, that has that crazy innovative upside that Elon taps into uh, and still has some you know, scary downsides that are only found in developing parts of the world to, to put, bring that label back, which we're trying to kill. But um, we need to show them that we can have that, that we can be this crazy place, this crazy idea experiment called America, where we can still create the future they want. We don't have to rip the system down. Look how far EVs have come in a few years. Look how far mm -hmm. um, a lot of things have come in, a, in just a short time. We talked earlier uh, before before getting on about how these windows have really aligned for the movement I'm working in, sustainable development, um, where now we have the capitalist, uh, I don't want to say backing, but like we have those values behind it too. So now it's not a debate of left or right or this or that. It's just, hey, do you want to win? Do you want to bring prosperity to your people, your family, yourself, your country, your communities? You know, and do you want a cleaner world? I think most people would say yes to all those things. Yes. And do you like winning? That's the other one. Because <laughs> we can do that too. It doesn't need to be a choice. It's not one or the other. It's actually all of the above. We need to have more of these win, 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 wins. And I say that in the context of talking about uh, zero sum and win, lose. I think macro, on the macro level, we don't have to have win, lose. We can create win, wins where we create a virtuous cycle versus a vicious cycle. Um, that said, we have to do a good job with the story. We have to get Gen Z inspired. We have to get them on board. Um, you know, everyone talks about the young people in the future and they always looked at us saying that, right? Well, now it's not us. Like, no, we're, no it's not us anymore. I feel like we have no, I, I feel like that horse has left the barn though with millennials. Millennials are, they're, they're grown up now and they kind of are what they are. It's like, and I'm, I'm talking about my own generation. It's not to say things can't change. Crisis changes things for sure. But there are inherent traits that we have that say 
the greatest generation didn't, and I don't mean that in a good way. The greatest generation was was in their coming of age movement before they went and fought that damn war. They were fighting for survival at home because when they were 15, 20, 25, everything – they lost everything. They had nothing. They had to figure out where the fuck to eat. You know, as bad as 08 was, and it was bad, and it was this close to being really bad. literally yeah. worse than the Great Depression. Thank God it wasn't. But people had enough – there was enough of a backstop in this country even for people who then have been fucked since then that they still have a roof over their head. They may be in debt up to their eyeballs, but they still have a roof over their head. They still have food. They still may even have a job. That's where the guys in the 1930s and younger people I'm talking about here especially who became that greatest generation, they, they couldn't say that. So like you know, to go to the Gen Z thing, we talk about the activism maybe being like a form of the leadership and, and the heroic quality which, is, which the millennials are supposed to have but Gen Z kind of leads the way with that. One devil's advocate I'd give against myself to that is that artists – the reason they're called that is because their generation tends to be tends to be the most artistically creative as well because what's the great paradox of life great art comes from great torture and so they take their bad experiences and they become unbelievable artists and when you look at gen z perhaps that is happening through the mediums of like fucking tiktok and shit I say no. I say that's happening for millennials too. You say we're already out there. We're already set. Our clay hasn't dried yet. We're we're still being molded. I mean, granted, you Some and I are us. the youngest yes, leg of what they the would youngest. consider yeah. millennials. So maybe maybe you're more right than I than I'm thinking right now. Um, but we only need one percent. Would you not agree that probably one percent of millennials out there? do have curious minds, do respect individualism, do love America and the values it brings, but also agree with a lot of these uh, more social uh, – I mean, I think millennials just haven't found their mark yet. I'm going to push back and say it needs to be more than 1%. 1% is wishful thinking. I I hear you. However, where I'm going to agree with your point, 15% of, of Soviet society took down the Soviet Union. So it may not be 1%. But to your point, no, it doesn't have to be 50. And so that could be fair. Maybe I'm a little biased just because, you know, in a way, I, I'm a big kid. I'm, I'm always going to be that. You know, I, I don't really... I, I just never... There There's parts of me that are very mature and there's parts of me that are very immature. And that's I, just kind of what it is. I don't think girls like that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I I've know. heard. So, I've so, heard. Some, sometimes they don't. But, you know, I, I think you got to find the right one. But still, like, there's still, like... When you, when you use that example of, like, molding the clay, I constantly feel that way, not always for the right reasons either. Just like, holy shit, I'm a blank slate. Whereas, and I may be biased here, but holy shit, do I know a lot of people in their late 20s who feel like they're 80 to me. Maybe not 80, but they feel like they're 60. You know, and it's like, they don't think like that. I know this because I have conversations with them. And that's sad. That makes me sad because they're choosing to dim their light early in life. Yeah. 
They could stay open-minded. They could keep that childlike mentality, that open curiosity, that wonder of the world, those asking the big questions. Why are we here? How do we get here? What does this mean? All this stuff. That makes me sad to hear that there are minds turned off, but guess what? There are always minds that want to tap out yes, of the fight. Yes, that's true. They all, and you know what? Okay. I hear you. I love you. So I love people. I have many friends and family that, that are like, screw this. I'm out. My head's going in the sand right over here. You guys debate it out, hash it out, figure it out. Tell me what the future looks like. I'll be over here. Yeah, there's always going to be a lot of people like I that. I hear that. Yes. And, yes. and that's okay. We have to carry them on our backs. Yes. They have to be represented by us somewhere out in this proverbial battlefield of ideals and values. I think the millennial generation, yeah, we're, we're definitely out there in front of uh, Gen Z. Hopefully Gen Z comes up with some cool shit to preserve this, this cool train we have going of, of freedom and Western liberalism and these values that respect our ability to be individuals. So when we were talking about sharing knowledge earlier, earlier and all that stuff, and um, you know, that the guy in Iowa and the, and the dude in New York, what is that really? That's freedom. Mm. You know, like what, what does North Korea try to control? Our ability, people's ability to do that, to ask questions, to wonder things. They control vocabulary so you don't even know how to worry or sorry, how to wonder about some things. But we are allowed to just talk to whoever, do whatever, search whatever, hear whatever, watch whatever. I mean, that's insane. Like that is so cool. You know, whoever right. wanted to control the world really fucked up <laughs> when they let us out of the bag uh, out west out here. They did fuck up on that. I'm yeah. with you there. I mean, that truly. Was, they didn't see that one coming. No, they didn't. And now it's out and our job is to try to steer it. I would say that, you know, people think it looks doom and gloom and all this stuff. I think we look better than ever uh, in many regards. We really do. I mean, we are smarter on average than the world has ever been. And we don't feel like that. We feel like we're just completely uh, overrun with information and data and all this stuff. And we're, we're watching the wrong things and we're listening to the wrong stuff. Sure, that's happening too. Because remember, with every upside, with that freedom, yes. comes the downside. But it also means that somewhere out there, there is an army of 20, what are we, 7, 8, 28 to 44-year-olds, millennials that are running forward in a front line. And yeah, maybe half of them will turn their lights off and give up and just write it out. Sure. What was that thing you said a couple minutes ago? Just you reminded me of that where you said, turn the lights off. You said creativity, questions, curiosity, wondering. About no, the after that, but that, that was, that was, it was on the same wavelength. Cause you were saying something like along the lines of, I'm sad to see their light dimming. And then you explained why that's happening. And, and I can't, I then well, listened to the rest I, of what you said. I yeah. forgot what it was, so I can't remember it. But like, I remember the, the implication of that, that I wanted to point out just to see if you saw a pattern here is that what you were talking about is whatever it was. And I'm sorry if this is very confusing for people because I can't remember the exact thing. But it was essentially saying that millennials are carrying out the duty of expressing their sadness through their own personal humanity art form, if you will, as opposed to being the quote-unquote heroes that they're supposed to be. By example here, you had the artists who were the kids growing up in the Great Depression and World War II. They didn't go fight that war. They, they didn't have to have jobs. Well, actually, maybe they did, but they, they weren't the breadwinner when that shit was going down. Whereas the heroes were starting to 
bring bread home or they were right about to do that when the depression hit and then they're fucking shooting people on the beach in normandy in world war ii so they my point is they took it and fueled fueled that ability to survive and fight for something bigger the millennials are too many of us are letting our lights dim and packing up our shit and fucking going home and i'm not speaking for myself here and i'm not speaking for you and a lot of others but there are a lot there always are going to be many who do that but it seems to be excessive and maybe it's meant to seem that way. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I, but I would say that the the millennial generation, remember, we're boiling down to very, very simple mental models here and stories yes. about hero yes. generation, artist generation. We need to be that hero generation. We need to show Gen Z that there is a way for a country with the ideals and the freedoms that we have here and across the West that we have, there's a way for that to exist and value individualism and for that very individualism to foster the creativity that is required to come up with the solutions that we need to collectively get through this climate crisis, get through our 8 billion to whatever it's going to end up being 10 or 11 billion to get through all those challenges. We're not going to be able to solve the problems if we don't foster the individualism and creativity necessary to come up with the solutions. And so our job is to be that hero generation we don't need to be the artists. Let the Gen Z be the artists. Let them come up with the crazy biotech that takes genes out of nature and allows us to become multiplanetary. You know, let them, we're going to need them to come up with some really cool climate solutions. We're going to need them to come up with some insane, you know, space and time travel stuff. Who knows what they're going to do? I don't know. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be beautiful. Can't wait to see it. I'm excited for what they're going to come up with. What we need to do first is knock that first wave down kill the old school of thought that it's one or the other, kill this us versus them thing, kill this, uh, you know, this, hell, I mean, the two-party system would be great to see go to. Oh, my God. Um, all of that, anything that's one or the other, all these simple stories that need to be left in the 20th century and the more complex, uh, connected, conscious uh, sort of level of problem solving, we need to usher in as a millennial generation. We need to lay down and be a bridge by which Gen Z walks across and says, yeah, we're not afraid to buck trends and change systems that some of you older generations said would be here forever. You know why we're not afraid? Because those millennials, those guys in their 20s, 30s, and 40s showed us that they didn't give a damn. They, they saw a problem. They saw a better way of doing things. They did. They did it, right? They fixed that problem. We need to show them that we can do that as a generation so that they can be those artists so that they can come up with all these solutions that we can't even fathom today. So I think we're doing an okay job. And I say, okay, I'm not saying it's bad, bad, definitely not saying it's good as a millennial generation, but we don't have a story. We mm. need a story. We don't have a rally cry. We don't have a battle cry, right? Like we don't have that. We used to have that. We used to be able to control it through what four channels on all of national uh, television nationwide Sounds and every, so crazy yeah now. everyone tunes in at the same time and dials it in that and, wasn't propaganda <laughs> yeah right right but it used to be easy to spoon spoon feed these narratives and so it was controlled it was all good you knew that ah, oh, yeah we have two factions but hey they're all over here in this circle now it's everywhere so we need to fight over information overload as harari says with clarity which means we need good storytelling. 
we need to we need to be leaders for Gen Z. We we need to be leaders so that they can come in and just kick ass and take names. Yeah, see you're you're talking about that need for solutions and the need to lead the way and be the leader for Gen Z and I hear the language behind that is from a positive standpoint of just trying to be the older brother for what's right below us and everything. But you're also still using words like we need a battle cry. We need a ra- something to rally around, I think is exactly what you said maybe like a minute or two ago. And it goes right back to that awful conversation that I hate having, but that I got to bring up once again here, which is that it's coded language and you don't mean it this way. Like it's the intention isn't there, but it's coded language for we need that crisis, i.e. we need that war. We need the enemy. And I will I will say this. In my second podcast with Andrew Bustamante, the CIA guy, he said a lot of shit in there. I still haven't made a clip from that episode, but we're, we're going to get that. We're going to get that moving, I think, because there was nice. a lot in there. But people were bringing up this point and that point, be it in DMs or in the comments or whatever. And, and they were, you know, the, the fans were, were hitting it across the spectrum as far as like, things to argue with or be like, oh, wow, interesting point, whatever. There's one thing that, to my knowledge, I haven't seen anyone say. Maybe I missed a comment somewhere, but I don't think so. And I actually thought it was subtly perhaps the most stunningly open and showing the hand in what is not necessarily a good way of what the thought process is here in maybe intelligence leadership and, and guys like him where he said, and I quote, we need an enemy. We need someone to rally around. And when he first said it, I thought he was, we had been talking about domestic politics. I'm like, Oh, you mean like within like, you know, something to fight against, which would be a negative connotation. Of course but it was like, no, no, no. Like, We need here to all rally around something that's not because we're all divided over shit and we need something to kick us into shape. Like people always cite the September 11th example. Suddenly everyone was a fan of George W. Bush. That was like nine months after the most contested election ever, Mm -hmm. right? Because buildings went down, people died, we went on a war footing and suddenly, oh, God bless fucking America. And that's great, by the way. Like I I think I, I wish we had that. But guys like Andy are... Are literally exactly like you don't wish to get the thing that caused it. You wish to get the thing afterwards. The like, effect. Like people yeah. love September twelfth, two thousand one, as far as like what it did for Kumbaya. for yes. Yeah. But they hated the day that caused it, and they hated the feelings they had on September twelfth because of what they had just seen. So you you want you want the cake, but you don't want to have to bake it, and that's not unfortunately really how life works. So when he says we need an enemy. He's filling in for, and he's like the oldest millennial that there can be. He's filling in for that generational leadership rage, and I'm going to call it that, that you're talking about here. And you're obviously a very controlled, not rageful guy. But I'm saying like there is a there is that that need for the action because biology of human genetics and domain and being passed down over generations, it is wired in our into our patterns that this is the generation where certain people are going to get in touch with that inner thing because it's supposed to be happening. And so I don't want to see that, but I also live in a world where, you know, I strive for simplicity on everything. I strive for it in design and I respect the designers who do it the best. 
Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. Elon Musk has a Tesla that basically is like a zhoop of a fucking of a, of a shape. It's got one computer screen in the middle. It's just a beautiful, simple, but complex, but simply designed thing. Steve Jobs created an infinity pool in your hand, right? Where, where everyone else use a, uses 100 words, these guys use two. We strive for that because we inherently, I think, realize that the world is insufferably complex and it's never going to get better. So in the things we get to enjoy, art and convenience, we're going to make it simple. But in the actual battles of humanity, the battle royales that you're talking about, that Andy Busmante is talking about, we're never going to get that. The human interfaces, we like to create simple stories. Harari writes the same thing. Uh, Humans think in stories. The simpler the story, the better. Yeah. The more people get it. Um, so those are the, the, the interfaces, right? The user experiences, these guys, uh, jobs and Musk have, uh, really put a lot of time and focus on mastering, right? Um, Bustamante's right. We do need an enemy. We absolutely need an enemy. We're humans. We are still, regardless of how collectively wise we've become, regardless of the fact that we can have amateur scientists without, with a thatched roof over their heads, stand on the shoulders of, you know, physicist giants in the last 150 years and be technically more knowledgeable than any one of them on a 1v1 basis, the fact that that is where we are today does not mean we don't, that, that we've, you know, somehow surpassed the human jelly sacks we live in. We're still humans. We are dealing with 21st century, you know, Jetson type problems mm-hmm. now and, and uh, black mirror type technology now, but we're still savannah sapiens you know we're still we're still biological we are we're we have one foot in this infotech computer world of connectivity and collective conscious and one foot in this grab a spear and hit the closest guy next to you that you don't like we, we have one foot in both camps so bustamante is right if we want to be successful in one we need to acknowledge the limitations of the other of our biological self so you're damn right we need an enemy but why does it have to be someone else in this world that is also a human? Why can't it be our emissions? Why can't it be our waste? Why oh, can't it be shit? Why can't it be something that levels and raises all of humanity? Why does it need to be them? Oh my god, you yeah. just took a that was a beautiful turn. I did not see that coming. Despite your background, I was not thinking that. I was expecting you to be like China or like something next. I mean, but, that's a close. No, just kidding. No, no, I, no, but no, that's a real conversation though. But I'm saying, like, you know, you look at you look at the Russias, you look at the Chinas. Like, it's very obvious. You see fascism, you see communism. Not good. Okay, they make sense. But like, you don't want to have to cause something. But what you're talking about is upping the upping the ingenuity of humanity to unite against an inanimate, an unliving enemy, but a killing one. All of our enemies are inanimate and are not real. They are not the people. They're not the guys holding the gun. There's stories about German soldiers and French soldiers sharing cigarettes on their bridge. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. What were the enemies in World War II? What were the enemies on one battle line? Right, you got France on one side, in, in Britain, and you have, uh, let's say, Germany on the other side. I- any war, pick pick any war in your head. What were the two factions fighting? Were they real? Or were they inanimate? Go. I know what you're getting at, and I actually think you're probably you're definitely more right than wrong. The people who were on the front lines may have been rabid dogs, some of them, 
driven into actually believing in it at this point, but they didn't start there. They for on on either side in this case technically just to keep the 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 example obvious or or balanced I should say. But the the real enemies that you're looking for, I think, you tell me if I'm right or wrong, are the bankers that finance the people that wanted to do this to be able to get their hands on a little more land and a little more power and a little more money than they had previously. Yes. Or and, to prevent someone from taking it from them. Sure. And and on paper also, remember it was these value sets we were fighting for behind the scenes. Thank God. Ours won, World War II at least. Um, but they were countries, right? It was the U.S. versus Japan. All right. Harari writes about this too. I think it's him. Um a country is not a real thing. A company is not a real thing. It's simply, it, it exists only in our minds. There is no ExxonMobil out in the world. You can't go touch ExxonMobil and poke it in the belly and make it laugh or giggle. Meaning or, it's not a living thing. Yeah. Well, it's not even real at all. It's just in our heads. It's a way, it's a mental construct as a way, it's a battle cry, right? It's a way to organize however many employees they have. Let's say they have 50,000. I don't know how many they have. It's a way to organize 50,000 minds around a common goal. That's all it is. Same thing with the with these countries, right? When we have, you know, the, the U.S. versus China, right? Or, or USSR in the instance of the Cold War. Those are inanimate things. Those are non-existing entities that cannot suffer. The United States can't suffer. The people in the United States could suffer because those are real living things. Right. The United States is just a, an idea, same with the USSR. Now, there is a value set that that idea represents. So there, I'm not saying all these wars were for nothing, right? There were value sets that really allowed us this free conversation we're having right now. If liberalism doesn't win out, we're probably not talking right now, right? No. Um, but I, I just mean it like that, right? So we're already, every war we've ever fought was always, even if you get a mad dog deranged guy in the front lines, He's doing it for an 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 inanimate God. I can't talk. An inanimate idea behind him. It could be his nation. It could be his platoon. It could be his uh, you know whoever. Right. That I, that idea has meaning. Yeah. It formula. It, I think what needs to be said is that for a subset of those people, again, not all of them, it gets to a point where that idea has a larger than life meaning that is beyond just who they are. And they actually get to that point, even yeah. with the worst thing like Nazism. For sure. And and that's the whole idea here is right. How do you, how do you go from ideas and in a human's mind to reality and in their actions? Mm. Um, and so we can make that same vessel happen, but for an enemy that, is a 21st century enemy like our carbon emissions or our waste anywhere there's waste waste is like a silly concept why would we ever have waste just the word waste shouldn't exist if i were you know it is called that it's not trash you're right yeah yeah, yeah i mean if i were i mean waste is a more general way to say for for everything right that's we'll get into it later but that's what that that means that's entropy on your cup yeah oh you know what someone else wrote that one time i think no way yeah yeah, a while ago. Uh, this is the second law of thermodynamics. It's basically yes. saying that at any given time, I, it's my favorite one. Yeah. Um, if I were to get a tattoo, it would be something like about entropy, order, and chaos. I think Bill Fasciola talked about it. I don't know if he wrote it on his cup, but he talked about it in episode 21. That's what it was. Okay. <laughs> you know the number. There you go. 
Photographic memory. There you go. Um, but, but please explain this again. Well, essentially, I'm just saying that all we're trying to do, I'll bring it back. We'll talk about that in a minute. But bringing it back to this whole idea of war and enemy, Bustamante is right. We do need an enemy. We just need to pick that enemy wisely. Choose wisely. If if we make it another place and, and pull ourselves back into the 20th century, right, and, and make it a, a, a nation state that is full of people that are real, that will suffer, um, you know, that's that's one choice. That's one route. We can take that road if we want to. You know, I'm not going to claim I, I know the right answer on all this. But if we really want to see what this next generation of artists can do to create these proverbial weapons and and solutions to our problems to beat our enemy, let's empower them, one. And two, let's pick the right enemy, you know? So my only, like, pushback there is that, and I'm just thinking of this now, so maybe this doesn't make sense. Again, I'm getting a little dreary at this point. But what's the term for, like, asbestos and stuff like that? That hurts the environment where you dump it in? Uh, what, just like environmental hazards? toxic, yeah, like biohazard stuff like that hurts the environment as well. Yeah, it's a very, very complex conversation. All right, well, without yeah. getting complex, just pretend it's as simple as I want my mind yeah. to make it right now. Like, okay. we can all say dumping asbestos is bad, okay? Biological or environmental disruption, bad. Yes, okay. So let's say that that had even way bigger implications than what it actually does for, like, the sustainability of the planet. Again, I'm making shit up here right now. Does it get bigger? <laughs> don't don't take me too far down the rabbit hole. Point being, if we declared war on asbestos and made that the enemy, well, how do you not make in this case like Russia and China the enemy too? Because there, if it's the same argument, like <laughs> he he made it in a very dumb way, <laughs> extremely dumb way. But when Herschel Walker was getting all the shit on the campaign trail for talking about like the, where the wind blows, <laughs> whatever the fuck he, I I watched it like four times. It was oh, hilarious. Boy. But it made absolutely no sense what he said. However, he does have the, the point he should have been making that is fair is that well, we're trying to lead the way on certain things. Okay, that could be good. I mean, that's what I think. But how much do we really get done if China just dumps around and does whatever the fuck they want? Like, if we're like, oh, look at us, we're helping the planet over here. Well, guess what? We're only one piece of the planet. If the other big fucking slab of the planet, Russia, China, is doing all this shit to harm the ozone layer, how much effect does do our deals have other than just being a virtue signal because they don't actually bring about the change? Meaning, if we declared war on whatever those things are, insert blank here, fill blank here of environmental problems, but other countries don't also declare the same war, how do we not declare war on them? Maybe you have to, but if you don't act first and say that I'm on this side, on the virtuous cycle side versus versus the vicious cycle side, like if you don't take the right step forward to start with, then what? You're on their side too, right? right. I, I don't think a bad actor somewhere excuses inaction here. We are, in my opinion, still the greatest country on the earth. Uh, to, to live in right and to to create in to start things in to take risks in to fail to try again we still have a lot of that we really do why would we ever take shotgun or backseat to anybody on this stuff when i hear people talk about renewable energy or 
EVs or all this stuff and go, oh, you know, wow, we don't like that. We hate that, you know, fossil fuels or, or vice versa. You know, we hate gas plants and this and that. It's like, it's not one or the other. You're fighting for nothing. You're fighting each other for nothing. We're all on the same team here. We all- Do you believe that? I believe that. I'd like to believe that, but do you not really think that there are people who are just so set in their ways? I mean, like, look at, look at how- the the global warming and climate change argument came about. You know what the worst thing to ever happen there was? It was an open-ended question. I'm sorry. But like, oh. <laughs> but like yeah, because like you're not going to come up with the exact example I have in my head. But it's obvious after I say it. Al Gore came out with a movie called An Inconvenient Truth. Yeah. And okay. he, who was the previous Democratic like a, a political party's candidate for fucking president. He was vice president during one of the best presidencies effectively as far as like legislation goes bill clinton you know during the whole 90s and everything this known political horse of a name he comes out and takes command of this issue therefore implicitly makes it an issue that falls on one part of the spectrum right is supposed to which now we're finding ways where it doesn't and that's good but we still have a lot of scars from that where Mm -hmm. it is still much heavier left than right absolutely and what else did he do He exaggerated the fuck out of the shit he said. He told me that Manhattan was going to be underwater in 2012, roughly speaking, something like that. You know what? It was for three days when Sandy happened. And then you know what happened? The hurricane was over and the fucking water left. Obviously, there was a lot of damage. That wasn't what he was getting at. He was saying, like, it's literally not going to be there. And so what happens? Other human beings who also may – the ones who are predisposed are the ones who already come from an opposite political end from him. Other people go, well, there goes that fucking Al Gore. Everything he says must be fake. And so now what do they do? They form the same thing that Al Gore formed in the people that want to agree with him. They form an attitude. And the first thing you learn in any Marketing 101 class should be the first day of the class in – I don't care what college you go to, what high school you go to and take it. The first thing they'll teach you is that the hardest thing to change in a person is their attitude. It is also the greatest thing to develop because once you got them, you fucking got them. Mm. So he came out and he developed these attitudes and now people are hopelessly stuck on these sides. I don't think it's hopeless. I think it's changing now. I think it has already changed in a sense that the information, I don't want to say battle, but the information landscape of our modern world has allowed for cracks in those two camps that are leaking people from one to the other, but mostly to the middle, where we say, people with the dramatic stories, you're not doing this environmental movement any justice. You're actually robbing us of steam. Get this too. On the activist front, Bans, oh, let's ban this and ban that and blah. That's not helping anything. That's actually eating up our carbon budget in a shorter amount of time than it would be to just allow us to build off of the technologies we have, to build off of the convenient lives we have, and apply that energy toward the right solution finding, right? So let me roll it back. Al Gore didn't do any any justice for this movement. Our, roll that back too. He did a lot of justice for the movement in a sense of getting awareness and information out. But building camps, building us versus them, it's dangerous. I, I, um, It's hard to dive into it all because I don't really come from a very hard left background at all. 
I come from the other side of the background. Yeah, but from Texas. Yeah. Eh, eh, it goes although, all the way. although yeah, I'm saying like you're from Houston. So yeah. it's kinda Houston, like Dallas, San Antonio, Austin. Yeah, that could go. That could go either way. Anyway, but um the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Yes. That's what there, I like about your approach to this. Yeah, it, it's always somewhere in the middle. There is a reasonable and there's science. Like we have science. We don't have to rely on, you know, the the seer over in that tent over there in our village, right? We don't have to have someone go, Oh, you know, you did this wrong and you'll be cursed for 20 years in this manner. We don't have that anymore. We, we've explained most of our natural world through the scientific method. We don't have to do a rain dance for rain anymore. We can just pull up a radar and say, mm, what does the cloud cover look like for the next two weeks or a week or whatever? And obviously it's not perfect. But as we get that clarity, we need – this is what I meant earlier by the better story. We need to not be Al Gore. We should not try to drive a wedge between the country or create such a – uh, a, a dramatic uh, worldview that it actually disillusions people when it doesn't come true. We don't need to do that. But in, in the same way that Al Gore profited off that and kept his name relevant and created a second act of his career, you are always going to have people with access to resources, other powerful people, and levers to pull who are going to take advantage of that in what is a this in this case being an example of one of the downsides in capitalism, right? So just look at the same fight without Al Gore. In the years after that, there were two major things that happened from the right and left that have helped cement through repetition of words the thing that none of us pay attention to but has a dramatic effect on how we approach things when we say things over and over again. When, when you look at these two examples, that's all it was. The first was Frank Luntz when this issue started to come up. Frank Luntz is a right-wing political strategist who focuses on on political attitudes, language, messages, motives of voters, stuff like that. He was responsible. I, I believe this, this is true. If, if it's not, fact check me in the comments, but I'm remembering right now, he was the guy responsible for after, I believe it was after an inconvenient truth, deciding to instruct people say on like Fox News where a lot of people on the right wing get their news to say the words climate change instead of global warming because global warming gave people an image of fire, red, orange, impending doom, impending crisis. Let's bookmark that for a second. Whereas climate change Gave the one thing that's most consistent about the world that never changes, and that is that everything fucking changes. The climate changes. Who gives a fuck? So what? So through people then repeating what they hear on fucking Hannity every night, oh, this climate change shit, that's what there's – It's they get to write that off when they're talking with the person fighting against them because they just say climate change. It's just change. It's what it is. And eventually even the person fighting them starts to say climate change just like people did. So what happened then in 2016, 2017, 2018? Well, you saw, and I don't know who it was, but now you saw equal but opposite reaction in life. Now you saw the left side fight back, and I get it. And they said, okay, you have, you have, congratulations, you have effectively changed the language from global, global warming, to climate, climate change. We're going to tinker the second word there, and we're going to keep it very similar phonetically. Instead of change, we're going to say crisis. So now we say, you said it yourself, maybe 20 minutes ago. Now we have a climate crisis. 
When people think crisis, crisis is worse than warming. Warming's hot and fire and a potential crisis. Crisis says, boom, it's, it's here. here. Yeah. It's fucking here. That's very interesting. I, I hadn't heard it put that way. I I don't know who explained it to me or when or where, but for some reason my mental model on this is that they used climate change as a new term. They I don't know who they is. Yeah, right yeah, I know. Yeah. Um the term climate change became popularized because global warming was too easily picked apart by the right in that Trump would walk onto a podium and go, oh, my God, it's freezing in here. Can we get some global warming? Like, you know, and, and warming was too simple of a story was was the notion I, I had heard. I don't know if it's right or wrong or true or what, but I had heard that the notion warming was too simple because every now and then you just have a cooler year, you have a cooler June than last year, and then people go, oh, it's not real. So I had heard that they moved to climate change to be more of a, um, a broader umbrella term so that they could still say it and still talk about it monthly or weekly on the news, and it couldn't be so easily picked apart by the right. That was my uh, understanding of it, which, which uh, you know... Yeah, I, I just want to make sure we get this because this I could actually check while we're on here. Yeah. So I know I'm not. Oh, I've seen this I'm guy. I've seen him speak on some yeah. documentary or something. Yeah. So oh, man. here we go. This is right off his Wikipedia page. There was another article I was looking at and then it got put behind a paywall before I could read it. But it was saying all this. He advocated use of vocabulary crafted pr to produce a conflict. Uh, hold on. That was about something else. He advocated use of vocabulary crafted to produce a desired effect, including use of the term death tax instead of a state tax. See, he used the opposite there, death, destruction. Estate is like, oh, my estate, right? Mm -hmm. People don't get – and climate change instead of global warming. So, And that's wow. just a basic sentence in the top of his bio. I'm, I don't know where the full explanation is, but yeah, he was the guy. First paragraph, yeah. Yeah, he was the guy who did that, and then people adopted it. And now, kudos to the left in this case. They have very effectively – I hear people say it all the time who climate crisis yeah, yeah who don't even necessarily agree with that they have yeah. they have phonetically inject same way that the cia injected wow. conspiracy theory into our language yeah, after yeah. jfk yeah so what you guys did there <laughs> it's the same shit which okay quick aside we're gonna we got to get to this at some point though yeah. bustamante gem that guy is doing some seriously good work yeah. for the cia right now through talking about this. Yeah. I truly, no, I truly. So a lot of people in the comments going, God damn right, is there a PR person? <laughs> well, no, but not, not just that, right? Like, I think he's doing a good thing for curious minds. Yes. I right. Do too. He's saying, like, look, guys, yes, it is like this. Yeah. Yes, somebody's got to break the rules for the rule setters of your country yes. that is preserving your value set that literally went to global war 70 years ago to defend. You know, yes, it's a dirty world. Welcome to reality, motherfuckers. Yes. Um, I think he's going to put to bed a lot of conspiratorial minds by telling the stories. I mean, yeah. granted, there's going to be some that flourish off of his saying. words. Yeah, yeah. But I think in general, he's he's doing a good job of addressing curiosity, giving a more complex story, which I'm going to link back to this climate change, climate crisis, yeah. global warming narrative. Um, here's the thing. If you give too simple of stories... And a population grew up in an internet age. They feel like they're being treated like children. They feel like mm. they're being treated like they're dumb. And they're not dumb. They are smarter than 
2 billion people or 4 billion people that ever walked the earth. And I'm talking about half the population today alive right now. I truly yeah. believe that they're yes. more intellectually inept than most of humans throughout human history. Scientific fact. Yeah. And so if you have too simple of stories, right? Oh, global warming. Well, to me, global warming is too simple of a story. Yes, it probably gets the point across that on average we are getting warmer and we are melting ice caps and we are, you know, potentially uh, acidifying the ocean and it's getting warmer too. Um, sure, it gets that fact across, but it's also very easy for Donnie to get up on the podium and say, whew, it's freezing in here. Can I get some global, you know, it, it's also too simple of a story. Simple stories get picked apart easily. The, the hard part of every storyteller, and that means every CEO, every founder, every politician, every podcast, everybody is telling the right story. So not too simple but not too complex where your eyes glaze over, which I fail at all the time. It's hard. It's very hard. Very you have to get a story that touches that middle wavelength of where the collective knowledge has, you know, since grown to. So uh, Bustamante, I think, is doing that on behalf of the CIA. Like, you can listen to that guy, truly believe that the CIA absolutely shot JFK and still walk away and go, yeah, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But if they did it's just a big, you know, weapon of influence and control, and it's run by humans. You're damn right. Some external forces at certain points have controlled different layers yes. of that weapon and hijacked it and yes. turned it on our, our own system. You're damn right. There's bad in anything. Yeah, and, and it doesn't always mean that, like, it was a planned bad thing by our side. It's just a big, powerful... The way I've described it to some friends is think of like a cannon, like a big barrel, but with a hundred barrels in it, right? It's this big mm. weapon that can go influence a hundred different parts of the world at once. Well, yeah, every now and then some foreign power that's jealous of that influence or what have you might hijack one or two or 10 of those barrels and turn it back at our side, right? Every now and then, or every now and then, because it's a human run organization, there are certain... I don't know, bad apples or people that were yes. influenced by external, you know, factors. I don't know. I just think in general, he's doing a really good thing on their behalf. I don't know if he got their blessing or not, but they should thank that man. They should send him a cake or something. <laughs> and a, you're going to cue all the conspiracy theorists in the comment going, he's making our point for us. I mean, but, yes. true, but, yeah. but, but as a curious mind that myself was very dissatisfied with many simple stories we've been given throughout, you know, our country's history, you know. I hate a simple story. I hate when you just glaze over it and go, oh, no, 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 you're dumb. You don't need a mask. Two weeks ago, you said I needed a mask. Now mm -hmm. I don't need one. But am I a toddler or am I an adult? Because if I am an adult, lie to me better or tell me the truth. Mm. Don't lie to me bad. And well, Bustamante is do. telling a better story. Bustamante... Even when there's a few really unpopular stances he'll take from the majority of people listening to him where they think he's just lying to them bad, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, and I know the guy, I like the guy a lot, I know him off camera, he's a great dude, but like, he believes it. There's nothing that's, you know, he's such a galaxy brain and thinks about so many different things that there are sometimes in conversation on camera or off camera where something will loop back around and it'll run a little bit in the face of something he said earlier in some way. But like, I do that all the fucking time. Yeah. 
I try to point out when I do it because I'm like, well, wait, I kind of think this though too. Like it's that's going to happen and people will nitpick everything. But overall, he really believes what what he's saying and where I respect a lot of it, even some stuff that I do vigorously disagree with, is that he's seen it. Mm-hmm. There's a line he had in that second episode where, and I mean, I think you can feel it on camera. I will tell you, I could fucking feel it in here sitting right across from him. His eyes, the fucking pupils dilated, the, the head went low, and he stared me right down, and he goes, you talk about that terrorist who could bomb that fucking place? I live that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, and that, sir, is why there are certain arguments that I'll even accept losing and winning. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, which some people are like, oh, well, that's a dangerous precedent to set. May, maybe, but... You also we're humans. We have to make judgment, mm-hmm. and and we don't have to be perfect. We can get things wrong. Shit, I defended Andrew Cuomo for a half hour on this podcast one time. That didn't age well. You know what I mean? Like not over the sexual assault stuff, over the COVID response stuff. Any of it, I age, struggle. <laughs> age bad in four days, right? Like yeah. we get to, that's a part of what makes us human. So what I don't like is when people then completely write off someone like Andy or someone like Brian McMonagle who was in yeah. here, Cosby's lawyer. People oh, hurt. Great. People hurt. I love that guy. Yeah, he's a great human being. Yeah. First, which is, you know, that's an amazing thing, especially considering the type of job he has to do. But people got to that AR fifteen part where he's a little passionate about it, like just a little, yeah. like nothing crazy. I wouldn't agree with him. And and I, you heard me. I didn't. I yeah. I agreed with his spirit. I disagree with how it is in practice because yeah. I think he, this was a situation. He's a little. He's letting the emotion win a little too much, and I get that. But like, or he's choosing his battles. Or, or he's and choosing he lives his in the northeast of the United States. But even like, let's say this. Let's just assume he's not, and like that's absolutely what he thinks. There were people who. That's a three-hour podcast. There are people who heard that one thing and said, "I'll never listen to him again." Go fuck him. Fuck it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See how you like that, you fucking pawn. And it's like you're telling me you can't. You're listening. You're telling me you agree with me for three hours. You're lying. Yeah. You are lying. Yeah. Right. Like no, that's insane. And and I loved listening to him, and I I I did it twice. I think on that on the on you only have one with him, right? Or, yeah, 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 yeah. I've done it twice then. Yeah. Um, and Something. I wholeheartedly disagreed with him on the AR fifteen thing. Yeah. Um, but I was just more excited to listen to him to, to him the second time because there's so much I agree with him on too. And if you are unable to walk into a conversation or walk into anything, right? It could be a, a board meeting. It could be a, a school presentation. It could be anything. And you're unwilling to look, f- seek understanding first. You are a dim light. You yeah. are choosing to dim your own light. Your light is lit up by other points of view that you didn't realize might have yes. a better worldview from a different perspective than you do on a certain thing. If you're off to that, you're choosing to leave the the arena and go sit in the stands and watch. That's your choice. I hate it. It makes me sad. I'd love to have everyone in the arena. I think we need as many millennials as possible in there. Yeah. Talking through these things, figuring them out, saying, hey, man, you know, one day I was very skeptical of organizations like this. And listen, open your mind a little bit and listen and go, hmm, I'd probably do most of the things the exact same way if I were in that position. Yeah. One And two... I'll disagree with you on some things. I would disagree with, uh, is it Diorio? Um, yeah, 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 Jim. Him? Yep. Yeah, Jim and uh, Andy. I would disagree with both of them when it comes to constitutional constitutionality mm-hmm. and uh, 
probably surveillance uh, arguments I would disagree on, um, info privacy. Now, they know things I don't, right? They know yes. that privacy may have been gone for 20 years already, for all we know, right? Um, they also profited off of it to do what in their mind were good things, and I believe them for yeah. them. Yeah. And here's what I would also say. They're doing their job right. Yes, exactly. These That's guys the are yeah. absolute warriors yeah. for our value set, right? Yeah. For Western liberalism and democracy. They're, it doesn't mean they get everything right. No. But like overall, they have, they have good everything. intentions. Yeah. They make mistakes like every other human being, but overall, yeah, those are guys who do a good job and they're good. They're good men. If if Andy got, if I were Andy and I was apprehensive about one of these things because oh, oh, you know, it might violate this guy who's not even aware of it or even cares about it. Um, some of us very much do care about our freedoms and liberties. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I do. That's why I moved back to Austin. But um, <laughs> during all this COVID shit, absolutely, I'm on that side. But. If I had the apprehension I would have around constitutionality and I was in Andy's position, I wouldn't be the warrior I'm needed to be in that position. We need yeah. guys and girl, men and women in those positions to think like that. They're being the force we need them to be. It's up to someone else back home to say, hey, you know, we need to check some of this. We need to be sure we're, we're you know, doing this with the right public buy-in or approval or something. I, I don't know. There's layers to it. It's complicated. I understand that. But uh, you want you want people like that in those positions. You you want them to say, I don't care. I want to go get that guy. My job is to protect. That's the blessing and the curse, though, too. Yeah. And that's the problem. Like, I do think that's one of my... That's one of my arguments that every time I bring it up, I feel like that's a good one. And it, what I'm talking about is the 10th man argument there. And it could be the 100th man. It could be the 1,000th man. Either way, it's the man. What happens when you let someone do something in government? Anywhere, but in government in this case. When you let them do something, they have precedent. So then they can do it again. And maybe next time they do it again a little more mm -hmm. and a little more. And eventually it's the road to whatever. Tyranny. Right? There you go. And there's literally like a quote, like the road to tyranny is paved with well, that's something. hell. Good intentions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You get my point. Like there's yeah, something yeah. along those, those wavelengths. And it's like when I've, I've looked at Andy, I've looked at Jim and I've looked at Brian McMonagle and probably a few other people, but those are three guys who are in certain types of positions where I could say this about, and I say, I like you. I know each of you. You're great. You do your job right. Even when you get some things wrong, like your intentions are good. And like, I believe that you've had long careers where you've proven that on the morality spectrum, you have maintain and grow in your ability to live on much more right than wrong. You're a great agent. You're a great lawyer, whatever. The problem is when I give you that power, you, Andy Bustamante, you, Jim DiOrio, you, Brian McMonagle, I am not just giving that, whatever it is, to you. So with McMonagle- A guy you know and trust. Right. Yeah. With McMonagle, it's that I'm giving you the power to take away AR-15s from everybody, right? With with Andy, I'm giving you the power to take away everyone's privacy, including your own. With Jim, I'm giving you the power, also the privacy arguments as well with him. <laughs> and it's like, you guys are good. What about the 10th guy in the room? Because he gets that power too. And every 10th guy to come after him, who sucks, who is a power-hungry demon child. Selfish asshole, yeah. Well, he gets the power to do that too. You don't think that's going to go bad? That's the whole point of America, is to not create too many of those positions yeah. such that they start to hinder and influence the ability for each of us to say whatever we want, 
to think whatever we want, to try to invent whatever we want, to create solutions to any problem we fucking want. That's our job to protect. And that's where I would get into a fierce debate with Bustamante, Diorio, and um, sorry, what was the attorney's last name? McMonical. McMonical. Yeah, Yeah, that's where I would get into a fierce debate with them around it. Um, But I would never want someone like me in Andy's position because it wouldn't be as effective. We need checks and balances, but we shouldn't all be on one side. Like it doesn't need to always be against the individual. And that's a little bit of the creepy part when you look at this two-party system. What are the few things they agree on? Eroding individual liberties and rights, control mechanisms. Depending on what it is, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look at look at the right. They were all my body, my choice with the vaccine. But yeah. then when it comes to women and their bodies around nope. reproductive rights. That's different. It's all the way gone. They can't even see it anymore. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. How did you make this argument 18 months ago? And now you are completely on the other like. The worst part is you can tell them they're going to do it and they still do it. Remember the Lindsey Graham video? You can you can record me right now in 2016 where he's like, you can record my words and play them back to me if a Supreme Court justice dies in an election year and it's a Republican president, I will not secure that nomination. Four years later, Senator Graham, here's you saying this four years ago and here's you confirming the nomination. And he's like, yes, they don't fucking care. They don't care. They're 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 just they're the worst fucking people on planet Earth. Term limits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely a must. Term limits. And and last thing I want to say on the AR-15 thing, especially if this is a hot comment section kind of kind of thing. To counteract your guy, I would say, all right, well, let's start with the original intent of the right to bear arms. Mm. What was the intent behind that? Did they? Because his argument was they didn't know there would be an AR-15. Of course they didn't. There were, what, muskets at best? Or maybe Kentucky rifles and some shit a little bit later? Sure. Turn that mic to. Sure. You know, um, but what was the original intent? The intent was to have the population be as hard to occupy or control as a strong military force. Now, obviously, we're not going to do that in today's day and age. And, oh, we have open carry in, in Texas right now. You can just walk around with a gun. Do you see a bunch of people doing it? I don't know. I'm not you don't. In Texas. You don't. You did during the 2020 crazy year uh, with you know protests and people you know, protesting to protest and people protesting to protest, protesting to protest. You know, it got all crazy. Sure, there was we had a, you know shooting on Sixth Street and uh, you know there were a few protest uh, shooting things. Generally speaking, it's a pretty insanely peaceful self-governing system we got going on there if you really look at government from the high level throughout history it's insanely well working insanely well right now so i would just say to the ar-15 point what what our government and governments around the world even shitty poor ones have is here and ar-15 is so far down there yeah i can't even see it yeah even if i had a 500 round mag you know, and and you can play whack-a-mole with some of this stuff. You know, he'd make that argument for himself, though, too, right? As, and he'd have one. As in... He'd say it already doesn't matter. Great. Then leave me my toothpick if I'm fighting Goliath. You know, don't true. take the toothpick from me. I'm not saying I'd make that yeah. argument. I'm saying yeah. he does have one there. I, I don't know. Just saying that it's already such a disparity 
Okay, fine. You know what? I'll give you that. There's already he such an a, argument. There's already such a disparity that the original intent of the right to bear arms is already gone, right? So he would have an argument, but out of a sense that it's seemingly so imbalanced already that the Second Amendment is already a laughingstock. Right. Which is not what most people who would say that it's a laughingstock are thinking. They're thinking it's too robust. Isn't that weird? It depends on what state you're in. It depends True. on how you think of guns. But I don't... It's a problem I hate that we have. I also view a gun as a textbook tool. It is a tool you you hope you don't take out. I, you know, I don't... Actually, on a way lesser level, I don't like having to take out a power tool because it means I got to screw in shit and do stuff I don't want to do. Yeah. With a gun, it's yeah. way worse because it's like we're in danger. Like, shit's going down. Yeah. You don't want to have to... You understand it's it's a parallel, a much more serious, but you don't want to have to take it out. But it's there... So that when when the situation actually calls for it, not some bullshit, when it actually you, someone's intruding, whatever, you're looking at it rather than looking for it. And beyond that, I think it's just access to to modern tools. When when something really happens, the idea is you yourself and you, right? Me myself and I, individualism, the, these value sets we've been talking about, Western liberalism, democracy. The whole idea is when it when shit really is on the line. And, and there is a moment of, hey, my biological jelly sack might not be functioning in five minutes if I don't do something. Are you dependent on a system? Are you coddled by the state? Or is it you and the world? Because I'm always going to choose the latter because I want a chance. I want to survive. Um, I, and I know this is getting all the survival things and that. And I don't really think about that. I Quite frankly, I have a couple guns. I don't think I'm ever going to need them for that. I right. really don't. Yeah. Granted... We've been uh, forcibly intruded on at my mom's place, and luckily no one was there. They've spray-painted all over stuff and wrote profanity and robbed stuff and trashed the place. You know, Had I been there, that might have gone differently. I don't know what they had. Um, but the whole idea is if the situation arises, are you caught by the state or is it you versus the world? Because our value set thus far, the reason we went to war in, in the 40s was for that ladder value set it's an individual you have your own your own uh you control your own destiny whether it be a startup whether it be uh, a, a job interview whether it be free education through youtube whether it be choosing a state or community school versus a private school whether it be degree choice what whatever it is you choose your own fate i don't choose it for you i'm a guy in a suit in dc i should have no say over what you do on your body and in uh, anywhere you know i choose for me you choose for you and we need to teach gen z that we can have and harbor that level of individualism and choose righteously to work for collectivism using that creativity mm -hmm. that that allows come up with the solutions to work for a collective greater good a clean climate or sorry a clean economy uh, you know preferably a regenerative economy virtuous one that that's not net zero or carbon neutral, but actually reversing all of the uh, imbalance we've brought upon since Changing the industrial the damage. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you, you harbor and harness that creativity and ingenuity that's only given through systems that are this crazy like ours. And then you 
choose to righteously work for a collective greater good. You can do both. You don't have to pick. Is that what you'd say you're doing right now? Yes. With your career? Yeah. So you you started, because I don't think we've really talked about this, but you started Thank God. <laughs> on, roughly speaking, the big oil side, right? When you came out of college. So like, where, where did you, because that's not where you are now, you're... I guess on the opposite end of the spectrum, but yeah. where, where did you work and what did you do specifically? So yeah, we should roll it back, right? We've been talking a lot about demography, biology, all these things. Yeah. I'm actually a chemical engineer, not a biologist. I would say I'm an amateur biologist because a lot of my heart's there um, and, and a wannabe geneticist, but really I'm a, a chemi, um, which means I, I work with materials. Generally, when people say chemicals, we all go, oh, the Simpsons, the green goo going into the river. No, no, no. Just think stuff. Like your heroin in this bag and shit? Exactly. Like what the TSA doesn't like me bringing. So we can look at that in a second. But I was going to say, look at this. Materials, ceramics, uh. metals, plastics, uh, you know, insulating properties, conducting properties. It's just stuff. Um, so I'm a chemi. I graduated from Ole Miss. I was a bio major for three years, then switched to engineering. Moved to Philadelphia to work for what at the time was the largest producer of commodity plastics in the Americas. Mm. So it was a Brazilian firm called Brascom. Uh, they grew through acquisition quite aggressively up uh, in North America and in Europe. They actually bought what used to be Sunoco's plastic plant right up the road. Or, hmm, I guess just due west of here um, on the Delaware PA border in Marcus Hook. I, I worked there. Um, on a plastics, oh yeah. Ooh, excuse me, plastics production plant. So I was actually, um, my teammate and I would joke. We were, we would say, you know, there's ISIS, Boko Haram, <laughs> and then us. You know, in the eyes of like an environmental activist, yeah. we are like the third worst people in the world. Um, when in actuality, we're people like everyone else trying to fix some of the harsh realities of our modern existence. But um, you're working for Nazi Germany. Yeah, I'm fucking. No, 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 but but essentially, right? Like, uh, and I'm not saying that that company was like that at all. It's great organization. No, I know exactly. I'm joking. I know exactly what you're saying. But you recognize that a little bit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Going into it and seeing the inside of a business like that and how well intended it was, and then seeing the outside perspective, leaving a university in 2017 and going, hmm, how do people feel about plastics? Mm, not great. Can you explain plastics to people out there? Like, yeah. As you obviously, we all know what plastic is, Kinda. but like you're, that's the thing you're relating it to like big oil in this case. Like, yeah. why are you doing that? So plastics are, are tricky. Um, quite frankly, growing up, I didn't, I think most of my life, I kind of just had this cognitive dissonance uh, cloud to plastics. Like, eh, yeah, that's something. It feels cheap. It's lightweight. I don't like when uh, I can feel the that it's hollow on the inside of my door handle or whatever it may be, right? Um, it generally brought around a lot of negative connotations when you think of plastic. And growing up, I didn't really know what it was. I knew it was like some kind of chemical product. Maybe it was oil and gas or something. I don't know. Um so what is plastic now? Plastic is, generally speaking, just a small piece of what we pull out of the ground from fossil fuels. So when we pull, let's say if I pulled this Red Bull can out of, of uh, crude oil out of the ground, you know, a small fraction of it would be more well-suited for use in materials like this than it would be 
Um, pointing out to the coffee cup. Yeah, I pointed to a plastic coffee, coffee mug. mug. Yeah. Um, it would be more suited for doing a job for humanity like this as a material than it would be just flaring off as a byproduct. Mm. Because that's what we were doing before. We were. And what happens when that happens? It just burns off as CO2, CO, mm. um, we use some water and a flare to, to, to subdue it as well. Um, and uh, it's just up there in the air. Uh, it's, it's not great, right? Yeah. Anytime you burn something, anytime you combust something, you're doing a chemical reaction where you create a little bit of material byproduct and then the rest of it is uh for lack of better terms vaporized into right. elements that are light enough to float up into the air we breathe them in they warm the temperature of our atmosphere our planet it's not great so plastics are oil and gas generally speaking mm. today and have been historically but all they are and this is where it gets complicated i'll try to keep it uh simple it's just carbon people throw around that term can i know you, to, to the average person That's listening I mean. who's never really had an interest in can actually I, looking into well that for sure but actually <laughs> looking into the environment and all this noise that people make like when you say carbon i think a lot of us can make the jump and move to the term you know too much carbon in the atmosphere we've all heard that but in a simple way, like I'm someone who hasn't slept in 32 hours and isn't a chemical engineer. This is a good exercise. What, is that, what does that mean? Let's back away from carbon for a second. Okay. Um, I think most people are pretty familiar. I think most people are familiar with or have seen a periodic table of the elements. I think most people have, but there are also people who didn't know that the Queen of England was from England. So. Good yeah. point. So there's this little chart we use in chemistry and in science that has listed, um, and there's an order to the listing that that goes through the size. Oh, that's come. Um, <laughs> there's a chart that explains all of the basic elements that make up our world. So if if we all lived in a Lego set, you know how there's a little book at the beginning that says, yeah. "Hey, there's ten pieces of that, ten now of that." You're talking. That is what the periodic table of elements is. The Lego set of the, of the world. Yeah, it's just the parts list. Yeah. And it says, hey, here's all the parts. And and how those elements are organized in that chart actually uh, gives us clues or information or conveys information about the size of those elements. You know, how many atoms are, are uh, you know, are in there, how many uh, protons and uh, Neutrons are in the nucleus. How many electrons are around it? Gets Taking me back to science class. Yeah, yeah, it gets complicated. But basically, we have a Lego list of all the parts in our kit. The world is the kit. The list is the periodic table. Carbon just happens to be the most common part in our Lego set. So mm. in our Lego set of life that we're doing right now, talking to each other, carbon just happens to be the slut. Exactly. Yeah. It happens to be the element with the highest, here's a way to put it, right? The highest affinity for bonding. So, I was going to uh, say body count, but... Same thing, right? <laughs> carbon has the highest... So you say it in a dignified way. You got to let the idiot like we yeah, say well, well, Carbon has, yeah, <laughs> it has the highest body count. It, it's, yeah. uh, it's the easiest to talk to. It gets along with everybody. Um, that we know of, it's clean. It's, it's a great... It's a great element. What right? a world. Carbon's getting a lot of pussy. It, Suddenly I, we like carbon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, carbon's a great... You're carbon. I'm carbon. We should love carbon. Carbon's yeah. a great thing. We just don't want it to be in the wrong place all at once. 
So here's the complex part. This I don't I haven't I have yet to really figure out a clean way of saying this part. That was very clean what you just said, by the way. That was good. The Lego set thing? Oh, that was fucking okay. great. Ooh, let's see how it goes now. <laughs> okay. So in our Lego set, let's just imagine a little diorama. Remember those little projects in third grade and where it's like in a shoebox or something? Yes. Yes. Imagine a Lego set diorama. Fuck, I haven't heard that term in a while. I haven't heard that term in forever. Wow. I don't even know where that came from. Kind of scared of my own mind right now. That was deep. That's um, good. <laughs> but essentially, carbon is the most common piece in the set, right? We're all carbon-based. Uh, energy, typically, it's we say hydrocarbons. Those are just chains of carbon. Um, the stable world that led to our evolution and led to trees and rainforests and beaches and coconuts and all the good stuff. Yeah, all the good things and all the the paradises of this world. And honestly, the world is a paradise. Earth is absolutely fucking beautiful. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you really look at it. It, it, it is alien 10 times over. Like you can find alien life all over earth. If you really open your eyes and just look. Um, so carbon, we want in our little diorama, a certain amount of the common piece. Let's call it the little four by four or the little, perfect cube in a Lego set. Let's pretend mm. that's the most common one. A certain amount of that carbon or that Lego is supposed to be on the ground of our Lego set. And a certain amount of it is supposed to be around the walls of our diorama. And if we match that balance, right? So, so think of it. Uh, let me, let me try to roll this back. What is the diorama again? Just, it's just me. our world. Right. Okay. Okay. That's so it's our Lego set. Just think of our Lego set. The carbon piece, let's call floor, it. Floor, inside, outside the world diorama. Yeah. Around it. C count the floor as like our material world in our diorama is our material world. The ground, the, this coffee mug. Right. You and I. And then count the walls and the little hanging things in our diorama is our atmosphere. Okay. Makes sense. We're supposed to have a certain ratio of the carbon block in our Lego set present in the atmosphere and a certain ratio present on the ground. And if we get those th that ratio right, or if we hold it the same as it's been for the last 10,000 years, throughout the Holocene period of, of, uh, of uh, Earth's history, we get to keep drinking Mai Tais on the beach. Roughly, what is that ratio? That might be a complicated one offhand. Um, oh, no, it shouldn't be. Hold on, let me think. Well, think of it like this. I'll look it up while you're talking. Yeah, think of it like this. The carbon in the atmosphere is just a small, tiny percentage. And everything on life, or all life on Earth is carbon-based. So that carbon, it, it has always existed in both forms. We just, as of late, have put more of it from the ground form up into the sky. And so... It's not demonizing one thing or the other or saying it doesn't belong in our atmosphere. We absolutely want it in our atmosphere. We just only want a certain amount. So it's all about balance. So you had said that you laid out that first company, that Brazilian company was like below ISIS and Boko Haram, whatever. On, and not actually, right? It's not a great actually. organization. Yes, yes. I'm just saying. The I, joke. Yeah. The joke that. between myself and another engineer was, man, to a lot of activists, we're third on the list. But you're all, the point was you weren't going in there drinking the Kool-Aid of the things that are all supposed to be built into their business model. You actually did recognize some of this stuff before then. And at some point, 
now that we've gotten at least the basics of the science across of how to look at some of this, at some point, relatively early on, you made pretty much a total shift and went to the bright side, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. Now, I, I would argue there it, it, it's not both sides, but um, I yes. know what or, you mean. Or, I'm joking. Or, yeah. No, yeah. I know. I know. I, I like calling this the dark side because it's like a, <laughs> it's like a, an environmental capitalist. Uh, yeah. Kind of mix of all of it, like, oh yeah, you're a tree hugger, but you have a gun. What's going on? That's what Lex said. Yeah. But now, now it's coming. Uh, Alexi, who connected us, was, yeah. was telling me he's like, wait, loves guns, loves the environment. Something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I brought him to out to the into the countryside in Texas the other week, and you know, let him squeeze off some rounds, <laughs> taught him some basics on gun safety, so he, he didn't a, look like a rookie. He gave Alexi a gun. Yeah, that was a little. Was, he, was he holding it like Tony Montana? I, I, I told him the basics of picking up a gun the first time, too, of like, look, man, if you ever put your, trigger, uh, your, your finger here or this or that, you're, you're going to send some bad signals to the rest <laughs> of the guys around you. Like, they're not going to like – yeah. No, no, no. He, he listened. Uh, oh, he did. Everyone has this with guns. You walk up and you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know how to open this thing. I don't know where the safety is. Good do for I, Lex. Do I ask these questions? Do I look like a rookie? So I like to get that out of the way with people when it's one-on-one and you say, look – you don't know what the hell you're doing, just like I didn't when I first walked up to this one or any other weapon. I don't know. Get it out now. Understand the basics and don't make these mistakes around anybody else because yeah. I'm ready for you and they may not be. Right. Anyway, yeah, I brought him out there and was like, look, make sure none of your rounds hit any of these oak trees. You can't hit anything here. All this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so it's it's both. Um, but yeah, I, I chose to leave the production of Virgin Plastic and join a team that at the time was called sustainability, um, which became sustainable development, which became circular economy and sustainability. So many mouthfuls, but anyway, yeah, I chose to leave the production side and get into this whole sustainability movement right before the chemical industry took it really seriously. So I got really lucky. Hmm. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and said the right things to try to open doors um, and try to get exposure in other areas. So I was a process engineer. I was, you know, on the pipes, on the reactor here at Marcus Hook, uh, where those big Not giant, far, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I believe it's Energy Transfer Partners now owns the whole marine terminal. Um, it just doesn't look good. It, <laughs> like, it doesn't like look when good. Like when you, when you go over the commoner barrier and you look down, you're like, that just doesn't look positive. <laughs> because it's been beat into our heads. Yeah. There was a time, and I'm, this isn't even that long ago, like 40 years ago, where that, maybe in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 60s. America. That was progress. Yeah. Like people put murals of yeah. chemical plants on their on their wall. <laughs> and I mean, like people, the uh, C-suite had a little circle there. Excuse me. Um, some of the high up guys had a circle of houses right there by mm. the refinery. It was a point of pride to be able to see that, that ingenuity, that, that 20, 20th century <laughs> engineering, right? And yeah. that brought us out of, I mean, that modernized our society. Like being able to create these strong, lightweight, cheap, we say cheap like it's a bad thing. It's also a really, really, really good thing. You know, do you want your car to be $95,000 or $35,000? Yeah. Do you want your gas mileage to be four miles per gallon or 44 miles per gallon? That's where it really counts. It counts in so many That's places. That's where it counts. There are so many things behind the scenes where plastics are literally saving the day or at least allowing us to have gotten this far. 
And the first thing people do when they hear there's a problem, ban. It's like, okay, ban, but you went from 2 billion to 7 billion on the backbone of a lot of this. What are you going to do with that uh, 5 billion people? They don't care. Well, they haven't thought through the whole... They, they, yeah. they, that's what I mean. That's yeah. a better way to say it. They, they don't... That's never... when when And you hear this for various things from the our two friends in the respective wings. The solution goes right to banning whatever it is I hate. Yeah. Cancel, ban, Worst silence. idea ever. Yeah. It, if you want something to change, do better. Create something new. Don't take a step backwards and then say, okay, now let's create something new. It's like, yeah. okay, guys, no, show me a better way and then beat it. You know, you have to win. You have to beat it out. You can't just say, I don't, I don't like this. You know, it's, um, let's ban it. You watch states try and they go, okay, we're going to ban plastic. Look at any of them that have tried. These are the things you're not allowed to make out of plastic. And then just wait a couple of weeks. You go, okay, hold my beer or I'll hold your beer. I'll wait. Well, except for this. Right. Oh, oh and that because that's our food supply chain. We, you know, People are getting hungry. Yep. Oh, shit, not that because the water crisis in California is more pressing than the waste. Oh, shit. Or that, because carbon emissions, we only have five years left on our budget or seven or whatever. So then you see them roll the whole thing back and you're like, okay, was that a productive use of the two years you just did doing that? Or should we have just focused on solutions? You know, should we have just made the use of this material benign to our environment instead of squabbling over what materials we're allowed to use as a society? That is so novice to try to ban our society from accessing a certain form of material, right? A certain element on the table. Not only did they reduce our, our states and people trying to ban access from a certain element to be used in things like this coffee mug, they don't have any replacements in mind. The replacements are worse on the carbon budget. And they, they forgot to realize that the element they're banning is carbon. It's it's the only one that will uh, do a lot of these things, right? It's the one that has the highest affinity for bonding. It's why nature chose it too. It's yeah. why you and I are made out of carbon. Yeah. So not only are they, you know, kind of cutting off our left hand before you go into battle, can't hold a shield with that. Um, I wouldn't say they're doing the right hand. If you're right-handed, like they're they're taking you're you're talking about banning yeah. carbon. It's bad. Yeah. It's in, really in, in bad. that in that context when you look at it at the broadest level, which is how it should be. Yeah, cuz the broadest level unfortunately holds a lot of reality. Yeah. I say that unfortunate for some things. I'm not it's saying for this like I, I'm not educated enough to really go hard at that, but there's other things where it's like, yeah, unfortunately this is a little bit more of the answer right now. Yeah, and, and, and I get it. Like, there, I hate a lot of aspects, and I did before I learned all of this about plastic. I, I don't, I get it, but it's so complex. It is not something with the broad stroke, easy ban solution. It, it doesn't, it's not going to happen like that. Um, so I'll, I'll bring it back. I, I, yeah, I joined the sustainability team. Remember, this is a virgin plastic company, which means raw material plastic, which means uh, basically oil and gas kind of company or buying 
product from oil and gas companies to convert it recycle. From, well, first to make virgin plastic. So just uh, I should clarify yeah, what that is. Yeah, define that, please. Yeah, uh, pass the little prop bag over. Your methamphetamine in here? Yeah, it's a sketchy looking bag. <laughs> fly around with plastic yeah. pellets and flakes and people are like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah, I literally thought that was, I've never seen crystal meth. That's a drug I've never been in the presence of, but I like looked at that and I'm like, is that like an offshoot of it? I would imagine it looks something like this. So it's anyway, like something like that. Yeah. For I anyone bed. listening, I have a few, what, five little jars here, six, and a few little bags and all they are are f- full of plastic. And Coke. Uh, yeah, it looks like it. <laughs> yeah, maybe these ones. No, um, it's full of little plastic pellets for the most part. And then there's some that are in shredded bottle flakes and some that are bottle caps that are shredded into flake. Mm. Bottle cap, bottle body, all from this area in the Northeast. Um, and then if you melt that down, you can make pellets like this. This is the raw material for most stuff in your life. It looks like this. Yeah, give me that real that, quick. And for anyone listening, it looks like the inside of a Beanie Baby. Holding that up to my camera right now. Let's see if you guys can see it. And that's Virgin right there. That clear one is uh, that he's holding right now. Yeah, can you, did, did you just say what that was? Yeah, so that's Virgin plastic. We're not going to name the types of plastic because it gets all messy. Okay. But this is, this is what those big uh, ugly pipes on the side of the road by Commodore Berry Bridge or, yeah. uh, you know, if you go south or east in Houston or um, – a lot of those things are making something like this. And this will get loaded onto rail cars. These are a bunch of little pellets. And those rail cars will go around to all the factories that make everything from your pool uh, equipment and furniture to your uh, heart stents mm. um, and, and hernia meshes. So it goes to go make everything in our society, like a lot of things. Um, so, yeah, I, I left creating the virgin pellets, moved into how do we create these virgin pellets out of waste? Because quite frankly, there's not enough farmland in the world to produce all of our materials out of plants. Mm. Producing out of plants has its own drawbacks. Remember there, remember this? Anything we do to order chaos has a cost. Right. There will always be a pie product. There will always be some cost somewhere. You can't Put a toothpick in your mouth without a microbe or an ant or a roach or something having given up its right to exist somewhere in the planet for that to be in your hand. True. Um, there's a cost to all of it. That's what finally understood this phrase that uh, older people said. That's what that means of there's no such thing as a free lunch. That is quite literally in, in a thermodynamic sense. That is exactly what that means is anything you do. That is a deviation from the natural, chaotic, dark, empty state of matter our planet would be in absence of life. Anything you do that has some order to it, that has some function to it, came at a cost. Well, it's the and there, there's a psychological term that's actually smart for this that I don't know offhand. Maybe I've seen it before, but it's those psychological laws that talk about small individuals within a greater group taking collective actions on their own that they think, oh, well, most people aren't doing this, therefore I'm okay doing it. But then a lot of people, whatever that dilemma is, a lot of people think like that and those actions all put together are what caused the problem. Yeah. And and so 
what I'm saying seems to contradict, right? I'm saying everything has a cost, but we have to pave a path forward. We need a story to rally around. We need to pick the, the right enemies for the 21st century. Um, hopefully they're not other humans, you know. I like your enemies. I, 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 I like where your head's at. I think at these that. are all of our enemies, yeah. whether yeah. we recognize it or not. The uh, smog that nine out of, out of 10 people breathe globally every day, it doesn't give a shit whether you believe in it or not. Right. It's going to affect your lungs either way. And we should all want to kill it. Yeah. Yeah, you can be in denial straight to the grave. I don't care. You know, I, I can't. I, I'm also breathing it, right? So um, it seems like I'm contradicting in a sense where I'm saying there is no matter what a cost. And anything we do, any car we make, any plane we, we choose to take has some cost of life and cost of planetary equilibrium somewhere, right? But it's not the case. That byproduct could be something else. We can. We are smart enough now, collectively as a society, I'm not claiming to be anywhere close to that myself, but we have the collective knowledge and know-how to make all of our order, to make our water bottles, our coffee mugs, our planes, trains, and cars out of the very byproduct that's been going up to the top of the diorama. We're, oh, shit. Okay, now you're bringing it back. Got we it. can reverse it. it and bring it back down. We have the technology to make all of this shit out of carbon in the air and choose where our bribe. So sure. We have to have byproducts. Great. I wasn't expecting you to bring this full circle so fast. Yeah. But yeah. Now, yeah. We I get to choose our byproducts, this. but let's choose them to be in balance with the times. So what do you guys do to impact that choice? What's the name of your company right now is the other um, thing. We so yeah. Say. So I, I, uh, I left Brascom at the end of last year. I joined a company called Tomra. Tomra. How do you spell that? T-O-M-R-A. Okay. Tomra um, was originally started by two Norwegian brothers who created what we call a reverse vending machine in a grocery store in Norway. So, Is that where you steal it? Uh, no, no. I like that, though. That's good. Depends on the, uh, depends on the year. Can't take me anywhere. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. No, I like that. Um, but it, it's they're just vending machines, but you bring your crate of bottles from your house back to it and put them in and it gives you a credit back. So, oh, okay. So you get paid for all your packaging that you, you know, you brought home the last time. So it works best it's like with, some collector shit. Yeah. Yeah. It works best in countries or States where there is a deposit system, which a lot of places do have, but we don't utilize. Um, but, but yeah, so Tom Ron now started as reverse vending, which was people bringing bottles back. They then grew through acquisition uh, to machines that sort the waste. So they, they acquired a company called T-Tech out of Germany um, that essentially, I'm going to keep this very simple, but when we put all our recyclables in the blue bin and that truck comes and picks it up and half of us don't believe anything happens with it, something does happen. Don't stop. Keep keep going, please. If there's one takeaway, double down on on things like recycling now because there are there, there's an army of people working on fixing all of these things right now behind the scenes. It's all happening it's actually all making progress right now in the last few years. Um, so don't stop. Keep going. Please keep going. Um, and that shit goes back to guys like you. Um, it goes to it goes to what we call MRF, MRF. It goes to a MRF, which is just stands for Material Recovery Facility. You could also call it a recycling plant. That's right. how I grew up calling it. Um, it goes to a recycling plant, which is not us. We simply outfit those recycling plants with 
the most modern technology. Hmm. So we. So you're you're a critical, strategic, not middleman, but like consulting producer for that industry. Kind of, kind of. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The company overall, Tomra, is a is a, a technology. It's a technology company. It enables these recyclers to say, "Hey, I used to only recycle water bottles, but because you upgraded my plant with these machines that can do X, Y, and Z using light, X-ray, and infra- I'm not going to go into all that, but they use a bunch of different separation mechanisms to identify what each piece of waste is." on a conveyor belt moving at kind of a breakneck speed. Yeah, The machine can identify what each thing is and say, hey, you go over there, you're a water bottle, you're PET, polyethylene terephthalate, we won't go into it. <laughs> you, you are a milk jug, you're HDPE, high density polyethylene. Why can't you call it a fucking milk jug? Milk jug. <laughs> you're a milk jug, you're a water bottle, but you break it down not by what item it is, yeah. but what material that item is comprised of. And then those get crushed into a bale. That bale gets sold to someone else. They shred it up, create these again out of it. There's a, there's a couple key questions I have on this that I feel like don't really get answered. And one of them actually is my own damn fault because I could look this up very easily and I just obviously never remember to. So let's start there. When did like... My whole life, the word recycling has been around, and I have vaguely known what recycling is my whole life. Shit that's like plastic and then other stuff. Sometimes there'd be stuff on the line I wasn't sure about, but in general, I could look at something as a kid and be like, all right, that's the recycle thing, right? You stick it in something. It goes somewhere. The trash man takes it somewhere where they re- they, they basically like strip it out and then send it out so it can be used again, hence the recycle. We get that. When did this start, though, and what started it? Like, what's the history of recycling? Earth Day. 1970, that was when the movement really uh, caught caught some traction, was the- The hippies. The hippies in the 70s. Shout out Stri- to the fucking hippies. Shout, always shout out to the hippies. I knew hippies. Jenny was good for something. Oh, yeah. You got to forgive her first. Oh, man. Yeah, great she was, uh, she, she was cold. Yeah, yeah. She was Ooh. good for something. Earth Day. Earth Day. Yeah, yeah. So shout Earth Day in the 70s, the hippies, um, they really started- A movement that had it it hadn't died it never died it did it go through ups and downs and through you know uh guys like al gore that used it for certain gains along the way sure did those people probably also very much really care absolutely yeah, yeah. but were all those windows aligned was the technology there was the social willpower there Hold that mic up. was the was the capitalist uh you know incentive value set there were all those things there no not yet now they finally are so recycling's been around for, I want to say, what are we, what are we? 50, 52 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like that day, they someone was like, oh, all this plastic, it can be reused. Like they just knew that and they can't, like a hippie was smoking the joint and came up with that? No, and, and remember these I mean, things. I believe it. But. Each commodity, so each type of material, like wood or paper, um, which paper is wood pulp to a degree, mm-hmm. um, cans. Each thing kind of had its moment in the in the I would say limelight, but it's really the uh, crosshairs if if you want to really look at it. Um, each material type kind of had its day where society went, "Whoa, look how many of those we're using!" 
let's reuse them. Let's create a program. And, uh, you know, this stuff has value. It should make money, right? And for a long time, it didn't. It was uh, a cost. Um, it was a cost. And we'll get it. We can get into that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, it didn't just start on 19, in 1970. From what I've heard, that's when the, the movement began. That's when people started talking about recycling. I think it was probably in 80s, 90s when the first curbside programs or when the first uh, single stream, we call it, programs uh, kicked off in the United States. Um, and really probably not until like the 90s and early 2000s where we became pretty robust at it. How much did people in like the 90s, I'm just trying to remember because I, I wasn't alive for part of that and also I was then a very little kid yeah. in the late 90s so I didn't know anything but like do people was there ex I, I know there were obviously scientists who've been looking at this for years and years and years I'm not naive but was there a significant amount of noise made about the climate and problems that were coming up or did that more really start like on a grand level in the 2000s one, I don't know because I wasn't there either. Um, or I was there as a uh, good answer, you know, very, very, very young person. But, um, no, I think it was pretty legitimate. I think there were, uh, we know a lot of even big oil companies had scientists that were aware of and working on going down the rabbit hole and extrapolating on some of these trends that we were already beginning to see in the seventies, eighties and nineties. So yeah, I think there was some significant steam behind all of this. Granted, we just lived in a more polished storytelling world. We mm -hmm. still only had four big channels or six big channels or whatever everyone tuned into. So I don't really know. I, I quite frankly, I don't know to what degree the movement was allowed to go full steam aggressive. Again, the net, result of all this is a positive. So I would hope that it had a good amount of steam. I think, and I can remember from when I was a kid, uh, we had the paper retriever things at our elementary school. And it was like a teal and school bus yellow colored bin with a dog on it, with a, with a roll of paper in his mouth. And it was mm. called paper retriever. I didn't have that. And that's because the wood industry, so think corrugated cardboard, paper, and, and trees, that came under fire in the late 90s and early 2000s. Was that performative, though, on their case completely? They actually became very circular as an industry. Well, here's one, and this I'm getting out of my wavelength now, something I'm doing some homework on. But, like, Paul Rosalie was here when Ryan Tate was here, but Paul and I didn't do a podcast yet. He's going to be back in October, November. We're going to do one. Paul is like Mr. Amazon. He lives down in the Amazon now only six months a year because he has to be here on business matters for the Amazon six months out of the year. But he's fucking Tarzan down there Jealous. trying to save all the trees. I I'll connect you to it. I, th I, think, I think you'd really, really like him. But one of the things he talks about is that we even have a problem with, with how to solve some of this deforestation from the people who are perpetuating it because – when they cut down these trees in the Amazon, they're cutting down trees that are 200, 300,000 years old. And people are like, well, just grow more trees. The problem is those trees that grow that are then 10 years old and get cut down, when the guy building the home in New York uses that wood, 
he's going to have to redo the whole house 10 years later or five years later because the wood is not sturdy. It's not like part of what makes wood great is that it's old as fuck. So mm. like when we're talking about like wood recycling, is some of that like counterintuitive because it doesn't really – Of course because remember there's a cost to everything. It can never be equal. We can never take from an environment, make something for ourselves, replace what we took, and it actually be fully equal. There will always be a discrepancy. So that's a great point to bring up. New growth versus old growth forests. Yeah. At first glance, people are like, yeah, look, we planted 300,000 acres right there because we chopped down 300,000 acres. Doesn't work like that. Not even close. No. There are species that would never live in uniform, new growth, 15-year-old pine trees. That's the other thing. Yeah. yeah but how, you know, will live in an old growth forest that has young, old, everything in between. It's a completely different environment. One is effectively sterile uh, when it comes to biodiversity. And another is so rich and vibrant. And you can't recreate that. You cannot. So excellent point. Um, that said... If you're going to be doing it anyway, pick the right place to source and pick the right place where those molecules end up. So here, here's one thing that if there is one takeaway from this whole conversation, aside from diving into all the weird plastic science stuff, all we have to do as a species, homo sapiens, is not ban our way to a circular future, to zero waste cities or whatever. All we have to do is be deliberate and intentional with the molecules we use for all the shit in our lives. That's it. If we get it from the right place, that's in time with our current situation, i.e., let's get it from the air, motherfuckers. And if we use it consciously, i.e., don't throw it on the ground, value it, you know, you know, don't throw your cigarette butt on the ground, and I'm looking at a lot of my friends when I say that. That's do what it. I'm saying. Do you, do you think that this is a... Do you think this is doable? Yes. You you do. You yeah. think that in a world of 8 billion people, roughly 8 billion people now, with all their problems, their poverty, their their mood swings, their differences, their whatever, you're going to get all these people on board? Nope. No. And I don't need them all on board. And yeah. nobody, what percentage do you need? I don't know. And it's not me, right? This is There's an army rising to do all this. I'm just one scout that gets the benefit of meeting some of these crazy minds trying to reinvent our economy. Um, so you're saying if you could pick off 15, 25%, I'm throwing numbers okay, out there. I, it might not be right. But if you, I'm just, hypothetically, if, if, you, if you're throwing out numbers like that, if you could pick off 20% of society to actually adhere to this type of stuff over the next two, three decades, that would have that much net impact of an effect in replenishing the ratio of carbon potentially in the atmosphere to not have an issue with deplanetation or whatever it's called. Let's, let's call I, it I the, uh, let's up. call it the end of life as we know it. It doesn't mean it's the end of life. Life will be fine. Life will be totally fine. Life doesn't care what we do to the atmosphere. Um, DNA will be passed on by living things. Even if we nuked ourselves into oblivion tomorrow. No, don't say that. It, it will. It, it, life will, life doesn't care. There, there's life down in thermal vents at the bottom of yeah. the ocean that, we could put on mercury right now and it might even survive for a while. So now will we, that's not guaranteed. That's never guaranteed. So we need to, we need to be, it might've been a speaker you had. It might've been someone Lex had. Um, we need to be selfish, man. 
Brian McMonagle. That selfish. We, yes, we need to be selfish. It's selfish. He's so right about yeah. that. That applies to the environmental movement beautifully. I mean, out of your own damn self-interest. Let's win these battles. Let's solve these problems. I think we will figure it out. We don't need everyone to care. What do they say that that middle 60%? Yeah, we need to get that middle 60% to care. It doesn't need to change all of their behavior. I want to make a world where the system, and I can't believe I'm a, you know, pseudo-libertarian, Texan, gun-toting person saying I want the system to handle this. But I do. When it comes to these kinds of things around handling waste and all the all the baloney that none of us really care about. Let's face it, at the end of the day, when you're done with the bottle or can, the number one thing you want is it out of your hands and moving on to what's next in your life. You're not going to go spend 10 minutes, you know, right. putting it in all the different things like they do in Sweden or they do in Europe. That's called multi-stream recycling where the, cons the onus is on the consumer to do that primary sort. Here in the U.S., we went the lazy way. We call it single-stream recycling. We put it all in one bin. And even that we're struggling on getting buy into. Hey, I'm guilty of it too, man. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I, I am. I am as well. When when it's not made easy and convenient, it will fail every single time. That's the battle that we face: is make doing the right thing easier than doing the wrong thing. That's a great way to put it. Yes. What is that? Eight o'clock. I think I'm at 34 straight hours. So I'm shot. Shout out to all my doctor friends out there for doing what you do. I can't even fathom this but, yeah yeah thank you for coming through I, I really enjoyed this i hope everyone got a pretty good education there in in the latter parts of this as well yeah so it was really good i know i did but listen brother thanks for coming into town thanks absolutely for being patient today everybody else you know what it is give it a thought get back to me peace